0: Xbox on welcome to Xbox on the podcast with one host about one console the Xbox one I am said host Jesse DeRosa and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 2nd 2020 including new reports suggest that we'll get an Xbox Series S or Lockhart reveal in August the head of Xbox Live is leaving Microsoft Ubisoft is planning to release a new battle royale game to continue to flood that genre and more Recently at work, I was talking to my coworker, or I was talking to myself next to my coworker, either one. 50 50 chance. But yeah, I, I said something in passing about Halo 5, and my coworker took it as me saying, like, not that you would understand, assuming, you know, that my coworker didn't know anything about Halo 5, because I just assume no one gives a shit about Halo 5, especially not anyone I work with. But she actually caught the reference I made. I don't even remember what I said. But she she picked up on something that was Halo related and and just shared with me. Actually, um, I'm in the I'm currently in the process of working my way through the Halo games right now. And I was like, what? No way! And she goes, Yeah, my boyfriend uh, got that Master Chief collection, and we've started working through it together. We're playing through all the games right now. I think they said they're on Halo Three right now. And I was asking her what she thought about it, and of course, naturally, she said, Oh, they're really great. I, I actually like them quite a bit because who doesn't play Halos one through three and and just instantly fall in love. And then I asked her, I said, are you guys going to get, you're going to play five? And she goes, yeah, we're going to, we're going to play that once we're done with everything on the Master Chief Collection. I said, good decision. Uh, Make sure of course, you don't leave out Halo Reach or Halo ODST or, of course, uh, Halo Wars 1 or 2. All the Halo games deserve equal love and attention. And uh, she she was texting her boyfriend while she was also talking to me. So she's like, oh, boyfriend, while she was texting him, you're not going to believe this. My coworker worker here uh, really loves Halo. Apparently, he plays all the time. And then her boyfriend texted back like, oh, cool, we were small world. And then... I start, you know, using this as a, you know, the second someone gives me an inch, I just I bust down the door and start using it as a platform to preach about Halo. So I, I start telling her how, okay, well, let me let me set you up. Halos 1 through 3 are fantastic. Then you're going to get to Halo 4. Now, I don't know how your boyfriend is because her boyfriend's kind of acting as like the video game guy ambassador to these Halo games, kind of introducing her to this world of, of, of video games. And so I'm telling her, you know, before your boyfriend starts filling your head with all this internet mob think about how you know because 343 makes halo 4 and 5 and so on that they're lesser games before before he starts filling your head with that i, I just i just want to encourage you to please play halo 4 and 5 and just come to a decision on your own about whether or not they're good games don't listen to what he said and then so she texts her boyfriend she says my my co-worker says that halo 5 is a great game and that people you know shit on it and he goes he goes halo 5 is hot garbage and then i said what okay now i don't give a shit about what your boyfriend has to say and then i said also halo wars 2 is phenomenal and then she goes he also says halo wars 2 is good and then her boyfriend responds halo everyone knows halo 4 and 5 are trash halo wars 2 was a hot mess although i've never played any of those just 4 and i'm like okay well so now your boyfriend has just you know in in my effort and my self-conscious efforts like trying not to be that preachy and that assumptive about what kind of guy your boyfriend is, he's already revealed himself in a text to you to be exactly that kind of guy who doesn't make decisions for himself but just forms opinions about Halo based on what the internet tells him to think. And and now we have that confirmed because anyone who's played Halo Wars 2 knows that Halo Wars 2 is perfect, pretty much, top to bottom. There's literally nothing to complain about. And that Halo 5 is a pretty damn great game that gets a really bad rep because it came out in a time where Xbox was beyond popular to hate on, and because people were salty that you didn't play as Master Chief as much as you should have, which is, you know, if that's your that's your prerogative, if you feel that way, you're entitled to feel that way, but Halo 5 is objectively a great game, and just the fact that he hadn't played these games but already had preconceived notions and was then going to try and push those opinions onto or in- encourage my coworker, his girlfriend, to then adopt those opinions just made me very frustrated. It's one thing when, you know like Democrats try to brainwash the youth into believing that they have you know, they're looking out for young people and have the country's best interests at heart. I get it, that's one thing. People people buy into that shit. They buy into political bullshit and think that these people actually give a shit about our country and our people. That's whatever. But it's another thing when people start to Do things like try to do this mob mentality about this is what consoles cool and this is what video games cool and this is which video games in this particular series that are good and these are the ones that are bad because that's what really pisses me off more more some than political issues or social issues or things that actually matter it infuriates me to no end when people just make and make assumptions and rip on certain verticals and ideas and, and games and platforms and companies within the industry. Having not experienced them firsthand, this is beyond my biggest pet peeve. This is exactly why Microsoft is always, you know, second place to, or PlayStation, or I mean, in this case, really third place, because even though Nintendo's not quite as direct a competitor as PlayStation, I mean, the Switch is clobbering the Xbox One. And this is exactly why Xbox is always kind of fighting for a seat at the table, is because. They make a great console like the Xbox One, and they have a really bad out the gate kind of marketing and messaging thing because Don Matrix is a, f- a fucking idiot. And then and then we all have to suffer because companies like 343 put out a great game like Halo 5, but then everyone just shits on it. And clearly this is a perfect example of how people aren't even playing this game. They're just they're just adopting this 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 internet group think about why you're not supposed to like something. And that's what frustrates me more than anything. It's okay to adopt political beliefs, philosophical beliefs or any of this stuff. You can adopt that stuff blindly. That's fine. That's how things work. That's why, you know, people are religious based on, you know, where they where they grow up. Your your religion is statistically inclined to be based on, you know, the popular religion of your region. It's because this is what people do. They 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 allow their social environment to create and form their beliefs and opinions for them. That's fine. I don't give a shit if you do that politically, religiously, Whatever. But when it comes to video games, don't fucking be that guy. Don't tell me Halo 5 sucks. Just play Halo 5 and determine for yourself if it sucks. Because nothing tells me that you didn't play Halo 5 more than you just regurgitating and spewing the same bullshit that Halo Reddit and Halo Facebook fan groups have to say about Halo 5. And that's, that's immediately what comes across to me when you start telling your girlfriend, who hasn't even gotten past Halo 3, oh yeah, 4 and 5 suck and Halo Wars 2 is a hot mess. What does that even mean? Who the fuck has ever said Halo Wars 2 is a hot mess? This guy. So anyway, I'm only bringing this up to you guys because I know last week we were trying to cancel some people who were making unsavory comments, comments that I wasn't 100% a fan of, and so I just want to continue to use this platform as a place to say, cancel this man. I don't know his name. I don't know my coworker's boyfriend's name. All I know is that she was texting him and he was saying things I didn't agree with, but I want you to go out of your way to find this man and cancel him because he's quite literally adult but with that said we'll jump into some comments shout outs what what say you from last week and we're gonna first go over some responses some good responses we got in regards to our pizza conversation and it seems like almost every week we're talking about pizza on the show and That's something I actually pride myself in. So we will continue my conversation about pizza last week. I believe Mr. Limbert bond wrote in asking what my personal favorite toppings for pizzas are. And while unfortunately, Mr. Limbert bond did not write in with his opinions on favorite pizzas and things of that nature. Some others did. And so we'll start with our, our, uh, our old faithful, Mr. Lethal migraine who comes in to say "Um, my go-to pizza toppings are either sausage, beef and onion or sausage pineapple. So, you always – so it's just just sausage or beef and onion or sausage and pineapple. These are very interesting toppings, Lethal Migraine, because sausage on its own, okay, that's a, that's a pretty – I feel like that's a pretty popular choice. That's a pretty, like, believable choice. You know, you tell someone, oh, my favorite pizza is sausage pizza. They're going to be like, okay, solid pick, right? You know, it's not too far off from saying, like, I like pepperoni. Beef and onion, it's like, okay – that's like a cheeseburger right there. I'm all for it. You know, you got a cheese pizza. And you throw some beef and onion. You're basically eating an open-faced cheeseburger. I'm all for it. Again, it's it's cool. It's fine. Tomato sauce is like the tomato on a burger. You know, the dough is like a bun. You got the cheese like the cheese on a cheeseburger and the beef and onion. It's a whole thing. I'm I'm into it. It's a good combination, but it's it's not a popular one. You know, I'd, the only time you see beef and onion on a pizza together is if it's like a supreme pizza. So this is very innovative. Lethal migraine. But this is where this is where you just go ahead and you you blow the roof off the whole thing. This is where people's heads start spinning and if it weren't for the face if it weren't for the fact that I find you so physically attractive, I would probably ask the audience to go ahead and cancel you. But you say sausage and pineapple pizza. This is so I understand, you know, a Hawaiian pizza is ham and pineapple. So whether it's sausage and pineapple or ham and pi- pineapple, you're putting a goddamn pig on on a pizza next to some sweet pineapple. I get this. But Sausage is, like, so extra greasy and, and extra flavorful compared to pine- ham. You know, ham, especially, like, ham as a pizza topping, the kind of ham they use is always just – it's always so mild and subtle. It's more about a texture and, like, a, a slight savoriness to counter the sweetness of the pineapple. But sausage is, sausage is a strong choice. You know, pineapple's already a strong flavor, and then sausage is a very polar opposite strong flavor. I don't know. This is, like – this is, like, you know, like – Ham is like a brick wall that acts as like a stopgap for the very powerful pineapple flavor. But sausage and pineapple is like two cars going 100 miles an hour head, like straight head-on collision, like blowing, like running into each other and blowing up. I just I don't understand this fierce combination of sausage and pineapple. But I also don't want you to think that judging you um, for for your preferred pi- your pizza toppings. I I'll, I'll say this. How about this? Next time I go to a Domino's or or a Papa John's or what have you, I'll I'll try the sausage pineapple combination. I'll report back to you and, and see how it is. Because I, I like to consider myself an open minded person and I like to be you know, I've always been out of the mind, don't knock it till you try it. So I think next time I, I, I order pizza, I'm gonna try the sausage pineapple combo and and just see how it is. You never know. Maybe I'll die from it, but you know. I, I would I would risk my life for a pizza, so it's worth it. Uh, you you continue on to say you're not done there. You continue on to say as for uh, pizza elsewhere, I went to Ghana and had some of the best pizza I ever had. Was a married couple who had vacationed in the U.S. and then opened a pizza restaurant when they got back home. So I I went ahead and I asked you. You know I I think that sounds. Pretty awesome. Just out of curiosity, I'm like, I would like to see what this like local restaurant in Ghana looks like. This local pizza parlor in uh, in Ghana. Please show me. And you uh, you linked me to a Yelp page or a TripAdvisor page or something of that sort. And I dug through the pictures. First of all, I give this restaurant like two out of five stars for wh- one reason only. They just have an awful selection of pictures. I mean, if you want to draw people in your restaurant, you got to get those like up close like I don't know use like a fish lens kind of things of like your pizzas and and be showing off the menu you got to be loud and proud about your menu and uh this this menu this this restaurant didn't seem very confident about about their photos and I will say that about their Yelp page but all judgment of that aside the 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 pick the pictures i w- I was able to get a, a a decent look at of their pizzas looked very interesting. I think the pizza looked very good. Uh, the pictures of customers enjoying their pizza looked like they were very much enjoying their pizza. so i I assume based on, you know, just based on the uh, faces and the expressions alone from those pi- those pictures, this place is probably pretty damn good. but the pizza looked solid from what I could see. I just wish there were better, sexier pictures of these pizzas. but, if I ever find myself traveling to Ghana, I will search this place out um, because I always—I've never traveled abroad, unfortunately. I, I would love to leave the country someday and and travel around and see some other places, uh, but I've always, you know, told myself I want to do a lot of American food touring when I go international, just not because. Not because I'm afraid to venture out of my, my comfort zone with food. Actually, when it comes to food, I love to venture out of my comfort zone. I love to try new things and, and just eat weird shit and, and, and all that. But I'm so tired of like the kind of you know, like the cool hipster American mentality of like, oh, I want to go travel the world and try exotic shit and experience new cultures. And I want to be so counterculture to that, that my thing is like when I finally do get to go to Japan, when I finally do get to go to, I don't know what other country I want to go to besides Japan, I guess probably another country that has a Disney theme park. So when I finally do go to France because they have a Disney there, when I finally go to China because they have a Disney park over there, I want to pretty much just exclusively stick to American food just to kind of piss people off when they say oh you went to japan how was it what did you eat it's like well i ate mcdonald's every fucking day and i know that's not and and, i mean you also want to check out these places just because it's pretty cool to like go to a mcdonald's in japan and see how like mcdonald's is so different over there so there is of course that that curiosity of like oh what is a pizza hut like in fucking egypt you know let's have let's have egyptian pizza hut and see what that's like and and i get that but it's not even for that reason alone why i want to do this i just i just want to be that asshole that's like yeah i went to fucking i went to fucking south africa and and had you know a burger king whopper almost every night doesn't that just piss you off and and just you know I like I like I like getting a big old reaction from people, but no. M- most importantly, I just wanna I want to be a, a true American inside out and just stick to what I know. So, but yeah, thank thank you for sharing that that pizza with me. My my mother comments in. With our second pizza-related uh, comment of the week, and it says, "Pepperonis had that amazing seasoned crust." So, for the ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of you who don't know what this is a reference to, where I where I grew up, there is a local chain of pizza restaurants. There's only there's only three of them. It's a small chain called Pepperonis. So, it's a pizza place called Pepperonis. It's not a reference to pepperoni pizza, although of course you can get pepperoni pizza at Pepperonis. But that's not the only kind of pizza that Pepperoni serves. So. Let's make that distinction right there. But yes, my mother is correct. Pepperonis does have amazing seasoned crust. And it's not even just the seasoning. It's just everything about their crust is amazing. Pepperonis, still to this day, my number one favorite pizza spot in the world. In the years since I left Atlanta, Georgia and moved over to the uh, the hellhole of of Central Florida, I have severely missed pepperonis. You know, we have some... Some awesome pizza spots here I've become a big fan of, but nothing comes close to pepperonis and I greatly miss it. So thank you for... Writing in and reminding about me, reminding me about that uh, awesome pizza I don't have access to anymore. And then now we will segue away from our pizza content and go back into the mundane world of video games, where we get a new comment from or a comment from a new commentor. We got OG Man Man. I just started listening to your podcast this past week while working night shifts. I think there's a little bit of a slip up here, but I think what they're trying to say is. Just wanted to let you know I, I like that you're on a little bit of the long side. In terms of the podcast length, He said uh, they say, definitely makes my 12-hour shifts go by faster. I also like that it's very personable and that I feel like I know you pretty well by the way you present yourself and your opinions on these topics. Keep doing what you're doing. I look forward to listening. My question for you is what do you think would be the best thing Xbox could do to beat Sony at a console launch? Price? New IP exclusives, features. So thank you, OG man, man. Sorry to have butchered reading your question, but I greatly appreciate you writing in. I greatly appreciate your kind words. As for your question here about uh, what do you think would be the best thing Xbox could do to beat Sony at a console launch, I think you you kind of answer it with your questions, and it's it's always a really simple one with this with uh, with console launches. There's always about you know two things at the end of the day will always reign supreme, and it is the price. And the games; those are the. the, At the end of the day, nothing matters more than pricing games. I'm convinced, you know, above all the marketing, the botched marketing of the Xbox One launch and the whole, you know, we have a console for people who don't want to be connected to the internet all the time. It's called the Xbox 360. Besides all of that bullshit, if you take all the rhetoric and the and the 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 teasing, the console war shit out of the equation and boil it down, the reason why the Xbox One, you know, got obliterated by the PlayStation 4 is actually not because of that. And it's simply because the Xbox one came out and it was a hundred dollars more expensive than the PlayStation 4. And it looked way less promising in terms of it's, it's appeal of games, games, games. And It's actually really interesting because, again, if you if you let's pretend there's an alternate reality where Microsoft actually kind of nailed the launch of the Xbox just in terms of marketing where where they're just like, okay, the Xbox one's also four hundred dollars. And it's a you know, it's an you know, we uh, we want to keep they never did the whole always online thing. It was just always like how it ended up launching. And let's just pretend the Xbox one came out actually on pretty good terms. The PlayStation was always going to win because, at the end of the day, the PlayStation marketed itself as games, 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 games. And they proved that in the PS3 generation. And they already had everyone's nostalgia by the balls because, I mean, again, one of the biggest advantages PlayStation's always going to have is that, you know, Xbox is big in like North America. Europe and Australia, and that's pretty much it. And I think honestly, the listenership of this podcast proves that. I, if the few times when I actually look at the analytics, and just from you, those of you that comment in the show, it's pretty obvious where Xbox's audience is. It's everyone who listens to this show, like n- over 95% of you are from like the UK, Canada, US, and Australia. Like that's where. Almost all of you guys are from. And that's that's really Xbox's market. So Xbox actually has a really big penetration in its markets. It just doesn't have as much uh, global appeal as PlayStation. And that's the other thing is that it's not even just about getting Americans to go Xbox over PlayStation. It's about how do we get the Japanese market to buy an Xbox? How do we get, you know, the South American market to buy an Xbox? And Xbox is, you know, it has a growing audience in South America and Central America, and it does all right there, but PlayStation dominates Xbox in those markets. And it's just, that's, that's really the battle Xbox has is how do we get not already Xbox-dominated markets to come and adopt us and give us a try and Sony Sony was just destined to win because it was already it already had itself cemented in all these other markets it came out cheaper and it came out talking about games games and games but the funny part is honestly I think both the Xbox 1 and the PS4 kind of came out the gate a little lackluster in terms of, like, exclusives and games. If anything, I think the Xbox One actually had a a stronger, earlier lineup, at least for its first 12 to 18 months or so. The PlayStation 4 ended up beating it in terms of exclusives, but not until, like, closer to the middle of the generation and, and, you know, onwards to today. But anyway, that's a whole long tangent to say, at the end of the day, that's, that's what makes console launches big. You think about the whole, like, PlayStation 1 versus Sega Saturn launch, where, you know, the reason why PlayStation one took off was because they got on stage after Sega just like fumbled all over, you know, Oh, this thing's going to be out right now, but it's kind of expensive and not a lot of retailers know that it's out now. So no one really has access to it and can really sell it to you. But then PlayStation just gets on stage and it's like two 99, fuck you. Like mic drop. And then everyone buys a PlayStation end of story. You know, that's, that's how these things are won. So, and I think Phil Spencer's really aware of it. And that's why we're in this holding pattern right now where we're constantly saying like, What's the price and the release date of the PS5? What's the price and release date of the Series X? It's because... Microsoft is willing to undercut Sony to try and get the Xbox you know uh, the leg up this generation and so they're waiting for Sony but Sony is also in this holding pattern waiting for Microsoft to release a price so that they can undercut them and try to keep PlayStation in the number one spot as it's been in so it's this really weird thing where you know Microsoft can of course afford to kind of undercut Sony a lot because they're Microsoft and PlayStation can't really afford to go too low because the PlayStation is like Sony's bread and butter so it's it's just Whole weird thing, and that's kind of, I think I think everyone knows that now. You know, I, I, you know, PlayStation really fucked up in the PS3 generation, and Xbox really fucked up in the Xbox One generation. And now that both of them, as brands, have matured past the point of like, okay, we have our successes, we have our failures, we know what works, we know what doesn't work. This is that's what makes this such an interesting generation. Is we have a very mature Xbox and a very mature PlayStation that know exactly how to market these new boxes to the audiences that they that they cater to, and it's that. It's about nailing price, nailing performance, and having awesome games. And you're going to see that both PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X have exactly that. So when, so when you're, you know, when you're someone who's already inundated on the PlayStation side, and you see the Xbox Series X and it's the same price as the PS Five, or it, it has, you know, a good lineup of exclusives, but so is the PS Five. It makes it just such an interesting thing to see kind of roll out and unfold because we don't really know if you know, Microsoft will be able to get PlayStation people to jump over to Xbox, or PlayStation will be able to get Xbox people to jump over to PlayStation, which I don't think will be the case. I think Xbox people are Xbox people, and I think PlayStation people are PlayStation people, but what you're fighting for is the people who are willing to flop, you know? Like, the PlayStation 4 came out, and I stuck with Xbox because I love Xbox. You know, certain people came out, you know, the PS3 came out, and certain people suck with PlayStation despite it being way more expensive than the 360 and being like objectively shitty compared to the 360 at least early in the generation because some people are just PlayStation people it's it's like politics you're not you're not trying to get Republicans to vote for Republican candidates or Democrats to vote for Democratic candidates. You're trying to get people who flip flop. You're trying to get swing voters to vote for you. And so that's, that's what, that's what Microsoft and Sony are doing here. They're saying, how can we get someone who had a 360 and then bought a PS4 to go back to Xbox? You know, Sony's going, how can we get someone who, you know, how can we get someone who bought a PS4 after owning a 360 to go back to remain on PlayStation, how can we make sure we retain that player? And that's really what the battle is about. So again, at the end of the day, it comes down to, well, how much does the next, the next uh, console cost and what kind of games are available for it? And so obviously we know PlayStation's already in a really good position because we, we saw Microsoft's third-party June event, or May event, and then we saw the PlayStation 5 reveal event, and we know that the world decided in that moment that Xbox bad, PlayStation good. But now Xbox is about to get their spotlight with their their bigger event, their first-party event, and we're going to see the Xbox first-party lineup. Honestly, I'm of the mindset, you know, people, people talk about the games we're going to see. They talk about, you know, the Perfect Dark, the Fable, the Forza, the Halo Infinite. And while, you know, you talk about all this stuff and I start, like, foaming at the mouth and getting excited... I don't think that's enough for people to, if I'm just being like severely honest with you. I don't think, like, even if Halo Infinite looks phenomenal and Fable looks pretty good and Perfect Dark looks solid and Forza looks as good as any other Forza, which is great. I don't know that that's really enough because, again, PlayStation has that thing where it appeals to gamers because they just make very specific gamer oriented games. Forza is a game for. Forza fans, not gamers. Some gamers might play Forza, but it's a game for gamers. It's a sorry, it's a game for racing fans. Halo is that thing where it's like, I don't know. I, I want to be wrong about this, but I, I want to think there's a part of me that wants to think Halo can have the Zelda effect, where like people kind of forget about it and get get like a little down on it. But then if it comes back and has like a Breath of the Wild moment, the 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 excitement for the franchise will blow up again. But I also think that maybe maybe Halo Infinite comes out, and despite how good or not good it is, people are still going to just look at it like, there's Xbox playing the one note they always play, Gears of War and Halo, Gears of War and Halo, Gears of War and Halo, so I I worry that, you know, an impressive Halo showing might not be enough, and Perfect Dark I really don't see as being enough, I I still don't believe that that franchise is going to be able to, I don't know, I I I look at something like, Like, Perfect Dark, it's like, really? That's, like, as impressive as, like, getting Quantum Break. That's as impressive as getting Sea of Thieves. That's not going to make... I don't feel like it's a console seller. I feel like it's an incentive for Xbox fans, but it's not going to make people, you know, not want Dark Souls Remastered or Remake on PS5. It's not going to make people not want Spider-Man Miles Morales and uh, Horizon Zero Dawn 2 or whatever it's called. Like, I don't think Perfect Dark can be that game, but then again, we haven't seen it yet. So, it's, it's... I mean, man, I'm getting so far away from your question, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, it's at the end of the day, it's going to be solely about what is the price and what does the game's lineup look like. If Microsoft somehow, you know, comes out cheaper than PS5 or at least exactly the same price and then with a stellar lineup of games, I think it will be enough to make the at least the initial console launch very competitive. But I still think there's no way in hell Xbox beats PlayStation. I don't think at this point... This is the fourth generation of Xbox. I don't think Xbox can win. I think the 360 was a very specific place in time. You know, you think about it. It was the first HD game console to ever hit the market... It came out a full year before PlayStation 3. It was cheaper than PlayStation 3. By the time PlayStation 3 was just coming to market, you know, the Xbox 360 was already getting its first massive exclusive, Gears of War. It was just this, you know, you had like Elder Scrolls 3, Morrowind, or I'm sorry, rather Elder Scrolls 4, Oblivion. And it was just this perfect, like, concoction of just, like, perfect timing, perfect price, perfect game launches, and then... Paired with Sony fucking up at every turn, and it was all that together. Again, we're we're dealing with a mature Sony and a mature Microsoft. Uh, so I don't think Sony's going to drop the ball on PS5, and I don't think Microsoft's going to drop the ball on Series X. So the only thing you can really do, since I think both of them are going to cater to their respective markets so well, is you know fight for like basically split hairs and fight for the minute differences to try and get those swing gamers to come over to Xbox from PlayStation or stay on PlayStation from Xbox and vice, you know, whatever. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's always going to be about price and games and man, it's just going to be the most interesting console launch of all time to watch because we just, there's always some caveat every generation, you know, like Nintendo's off, like losing their fucking minds, making something like the Wii U while everyone's like focused on, you know, literally anything but that or switch is like literally not even remotely a regular gaming console so it's being sold not because it's a powerful machine but because it's like a like an it's a whole other way to use a video game so it's like nintendo's like never a good comparison and then sony you know they they worked from like nobody to the biggest name to really fucking up to you know going back on top and then microsoft went from like a pretty admirable first attempt to like massive to like totally hitting rock bottom and to now like regaining an audience. It's just, we've never seen this perfect storm of like, okay, now everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone knows their market. Everyone knows how to cater to their audience. It's not fuck up and to market appropriately and to build the appropriate machine to cater to the gaming audience. And we're going to see what that looks like. It could be, I don't know. I think, I think what you're going to see is that everything's going to be so good that there's no reason to swing from one side to the other. And it's going to make things really convenient for PlayStation. I, I would like to say that the only other thing that could really make the difference are services, you know, uh, things like Game Pass. But the fact that Game Pass, I mean, it is doing very well and it's constantly growing. And it has a great user base. But the fact that Xbox Game Pass hasn't already intrigued more PlayStation gamers than it already has is a bit of a surprise to me because it's like I feel like by this point you should be like, wait, you're telling me people on Xbox are just like, putting out Netflix money and having unlimited access to a massive library of games. That's constantly changing and rotating. Meanwhile, I'm over here paying 60 bucks a game every couple months. You know, it's like, I feel like that would be more of an enticing get, but the fact that game pass just hasn't made people flock from one side to the other tells you that it's kind of one of those things where like game pass is amazing value and it's amazing deal and people won't be able to live without it, but not unless they're already conveniently on the platform where it exists using it. And I think even Microsoft knows that to an extent, which is why, you know, xCloud and, and and Game Pass on PC, because it's about putting the service where people are rather than using the service as a means to entice people to come over. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think I've answered your question. I think I've actually just ran in circles and done something entirely different, but I hope somewhere in all that ranting, you uh, were able to pick out some points that you, think, um, that you think are maybe slightly related to your question. But yeah, the big two... Console pricing games, uh, and I I don't know. I still don't think the Xbox Series X is going to be cheaper than the PS5. I think they're going to be pretty much on par, like similar pricing, maybe the, the exact same price. But damn, it would be so cool if the Xbox Series X was like a hundred bucks cheaper than the PS5, because like if if you have that perfect storm of like a really awesome Halo reveal and one other exclusive that we don't know about that looks really awesome and a cheaper console, I think that, I think that honestly could be the closest thing to the perfect storm, but even then, Xbox needs, Xbox needs an exclusive that's, like, absurdly gamer-focused, they need, like, an Elder Scrolls, or a Dark Soul kind of game, and, you know, not Outer Worlds, because it's a third-party game, they need, they need a game that looks so, I mean, I guess that's what Fable is, but Fable is already kind of a known quantity, because we've seen it before, even if it is kind of coming back in the form of a reboot, but, I could be wrong. I, don't, I really don't know anything. For all I know, you know, Fable, they show Fable. It looks amazing. It doesn't look like the Fable we knew. It looks like something completely different, and everyone has to have it, and then, place. you know, Sony goes bankrupt, and, and ends up, you know, fucking selling, like, bootleg, fucking concert merch, on, like, the streets of, fucking, I don't know, San Francisco, who fucking knows. Um, but our next comment here comes from my brother, who says, the x in me blocked out everything you said until you started talking about the banished in Halo Infinite. I, I pooped my pants while listening to the reveal teaser. It was awkward because I was at work, like, sneaking, watching it, and they all found out from the smell. So, Xbox makes people shit their pants. Our next comment here is from Lethal Migraine, who says in regards to my whole um, thing about The Last of Us Part Two, you know about a fourth of Naughty Dog now works for Xbox. This is—I uh, don't know—that's quite that many. Uh, I mean, maybe it is. I don't really fucking know. But yes, a lot of the initiative uh, has poached a lot of talent from Naughty Dog and Sony Santa Monica and various Sony studios. That was very intentionally Microsoft's point of building the initiative in Santa Monica was because that's like right around where most of Sony's best talent is and it was so that they could poach that talent and bring them over to Microsoft so very well done they got a lot of good guys from Santa Monica from Naughty Dog and from Insomniac which is what most excites me and then of course they got original people they probably got they got people from like Crystal Dynamics they got people from all over so it's a really great team or or group of people they have working at the initiative and I'm that's why I'm so excited to see what they're working on but also so apprehensive about it being perfect dark but I mean, I think Perfect Dark is one of the two projects they have working at the same time. But yeah, Naughty Dog, probably some very good key talent now working for Xbox, making Not The Last of Us Part 2. And then Dead Captain James comes in, keeping with our Last of Us Part 2, not Xbox-related, but we're going to talk about it anyway, where he says... I made it about 12 hours into the Last of Us Part 2 and I just put put it down. The graphics and acting are masterpiece level, but everything else is very mediocre. Maybe I'll finish it one day, but I doubt it. This roughly sums up my feelings towards the game. I said, you know, glad to see I'm not crazy. That's pretty much how I feel about it. The acting is phenomenal, the graphics are amazing, the animation is amazing. All of it is like top-notch. Best shit I've ever seen in a game pretty much in terms of those respective arts and disciplines, but the gameplay itself and the story are just kind of like a little on the mediocre side, although we'll get into that in a minute. I I want to say something about The Last of Us Part Two when we get to what I've been playing. Um, but yeah, he says, um, I think it would have been best if they just didn't make a sequel. The first one was story complete. Or the first one, the first one's story was complete. I agree with this wholeheartedly, Dead Captain James. I think The Last of Us is one of those games that stands as like a piece of art. And, and video games kind of have this similar problem that movies have, but like really, but not really, where, you know, one of the things that makes movies so, one of the things that really is a disservice to movies is, of course, you know, whether or not you get sequels is based on box office. Box office numbers, merchandise, and so Hollywood is this is this whole game of playing it safe. Now it's sequels and reboots and known quantities. We only want to release movies that are known quantities. We we want to know that if we're going to put two hundred million dollars in, into the budget of a film, that we can make it back easily. And we're confident when we can do that, when we make sequels, right? Gaming is a little bit like that, but not really because the thing about the movie industry is like when you make a sequel to a movie. A sequel is usually worse, right? Because everything's always, like, better on the first attempt. But gaming's kind of just the opposite, because in gaming, where, like, the gameplay is the king aspect of the game, the sequel's usually better than the first one. So it's kind of the exact opposite of a movie, because if you're really focused on the gameplay, a sequel is the opportunity to refine the gameplay, improve on it, make it more complex, dynamic, tight, whatever, right? But... I think The Last of Us is an interesting example of like, it's a movie and a game because it's so it's such a strong narrative, it's such a strong story that like it has the Hollywood problem of like, this didn't need a movie or a sequel. Why did you do a sequel, right? But it also has the game thing of like, oh, this is why you do sequels because now it feels and plays better than the last one, right? So it's just kind of a funny thing, although I think the game's way too long. It, I mean, does it does play like a, a nicer, tighter, modern game. So I, 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 I agree completely. I think... The Last of Us is actually one of those games that should have just been a one release thing. They should have had the financial restraint. And I, I believe this is Sony, not Naughty Dog. They should have just had the financial restraint to be like, hey, this game is a masterpiece. It's a piece of art. This is the kind of thing, you know, in 30, 40 years people will look back on and remember as like one of the most pivotal most important games in in ushering in this, like, this era where we started taking games very seriously and seeing the 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 value, the narrative value in gaming and the, and the kind of the potential for storytelling. And I think having a sequel, especially one like The Last of Us Part Two, waters it down a bit because it just, I don't know, it kind of makes it average. It makes it like anything else. It's like, oh yeah, well then they had to cash in and make a sequel and the sequel wasn't as good and the sequel kind of expanded to the universe that didn't need expanding. It's like, I don't know, it's like a good novel. Like you don't read like, you don't read like fucking Ulysses and then go like, "Oh man, I really I really wish they'd make a sequel to this." You know, you don't fucking read like The Catcher on the Rye and say like, "Man, when are they going to when is when is Salinger just going to make a sequel? I just want to know what happens next in this universe." It's like, you know, that's something we get all the time in TV and movie and games. And it's like, I really wish creatives and executives just had the respect for something when it's amazing to just say, "You know, I think that the narrative and the power of the story told here is just so much more powerful when you just leave it alone and let it stand on its own and speak for itself. And The Last of Us was such a prime example of it. You know, The Last of Us is not Halo. It's not... Halo is like Star Wars. It's a thing where you want to see the world expanded and see what other kind of adventures and crazy things happen in this universe that's so compelling. The Last of Us isn't a story about the universe. You don't care about, you know, the zombies and how the zombie outbreak happened. No one gives a shit about that. The Last of Us is a compelling game because it's about this, like, completely twisted, fucked up father daughter story about like the kind of lengths this man would be willing to go to save this girl's life because he bonded with her and was able to like get a second chance at fatherhood after having his daughter killed by a zombie apocalypse. You know, it's about, it's about a re- like a second chance at that love that a parent has it's fucking phenomenal it's an amazing game with an amazing ending like the last of us part one is like barely above average from a gameplay standpoint but the story and the characterization the writing and the acting that game is so phenomenal i don't give a shit the last of us part one is so good and then the last of us part two just kind of tears it apart by being okay now we're gonna expand it and make it about all these other people and and just i don't know kind of shit on it a little bit uh, but we'll get into that in a minute. Limber Bond comes in with her next comment and says, Let's say that the Perfect Dark rumors are true. What would you want the game to be uh, to get you hyped for it? You know, this is a great question that I don't know that I have an answer for. Uh, for the Perfect... Uh, this might sound like a cop-out thing, especially as we just talked about The Last of Us. But I think to get me to care about Perfect Dark, you'd have to make... What's her name again? What I, for, I always forget her name. Jill or, or 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 Jane or something. The Perfect Dark... Um, character, I don't even care because I'm not a Perfect Dark fan. But uh, if you gave her such a compelling background story, and made made it such an emotional, like dramatic story that I was invested in the game just from a story standpoint. Then I'd be on board. But again, it's like it's like that secret agent spy stuff. It's like a little bit James Bondy, and I just I don't care about that. So it's really hard for me to think of a world in which they can make Perfect Dark an incredible game. And and the other thing is I don't really like stealth and there's and you know I know Perfect Dark is a first person shooter but it's also a little stealthy and so it's just like already playing into all these things I don't want so it's like you built you built this studio at the initiative that's supposed to be like the most quadruple triple A whatever studio ever made but then you're having them reboot a game that's known for two things gameplay and I mean or it's a game that's like super video gamey. And then it's it's stealth game. And those are two things that I'm not looking for from a studio of this caliber. I'm not looking for, like, a super video game game, which is what Perfect Dark is. And I'm not looking for stealth because stealth is just not my personal cup of tea. Or as my friend Hunter would say, it's not my, uh, it's not my cup of alley. It's not up my tea. But... I just, I'm not creative enough to think of a way in which they can take Perfect Dark and make it something I have to play and and can't wait to. I mean, make no no mistake about this. Whatever Perfect Dark is, I'm going to play it. You know, it's going to be on Game Pass. It's going to be an Xbox first party game. I'm going to be excited about it regardless, but even if this is like the most robust stealth game of all time with like insane AI and crazy ways that you can trick AI and interact with enemies, you know, I don't know to maneuver your way around situations. I I still think it's just not going to be enough to, to grab me. And, And if anything, you know, now that I think about it, the reason why you could be making a game like perfect dark is because this could be an example of how you can show off the power of next generation. Cause remember, remember months and months ago when I was saying how, One of the ways we're going to know next gen games feel next gen isn't going to be because they just look so next gen, but it's going to be more about the kind of under the hood stuff, the things you don't see on the surface. And I think a game like Perfect Dark or a stealth game can really take advantage of that because you can use the power of something like an Xbox Series X to make the most dynamic enemy AI you've ever encountered. And so yeah, if you I mean if you take the sophisticated talent of of the developers that work at the initiative and the power of the Xbox Series X and say push the boundaries of stealth gameplay, you know, with with the power of the Xbox Series X, then that could be what Perfect Dark is all about, you know, proving grounds to show the the under-the-hood technical power and infidelity of this console by saying, like, stop just looking at graphics in 4K and 120 hertz and all that shit. It's about more than that. Look at what we can do with enemy AI as a result of the power of this console. Maybe that's what Perfect Dark is all about, but I fully believe this game is real. I fully believe these rumors are true, and we'll get into that a little more at the news today. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the only way you can get me, like, head over heels excited about this game is if you somehow... Make it like such a super narrative-focused, compelling world. And I don't even know how you do that. Because Perfect Dark, you know, just as as we know it currently, is just such a I don't give a shit about it kind of series. I don't know. It's like Microsoft Splinter Cell. So I, just, I just don't care. But I would love to be proven wrong. I would love for them to make me look like a fucking dumbass and for this game to be the coolest thing of all time. I really hope that's the case. I just... It's hard for me to think of a world in which I'd, I'd even really care um, otherwise. Lethal Migraine then comes in with our final two comments, where he, you know, just some quick ones to rattle off. He says, I never read the books. He's talking about Harry Potter. I never read the books, but I watched all the movies. I was disappointed Harry Potter didn't die. Same. And then his final comment there says, There needs to be a Pornhub Gaming, and I think that was in response to the whole Mixer going away thing, but I think there kind of is a Pornhub Gaming. I'm pretty sure that's what Twitch is, and if you've been following the news, that's kind of exactly what Twitch is as of late, so that's going to do it for all of our our comments, shoutouts, whatnot for this week. Please remember, as always, don't be shy, reply. So now we're going to jump into what I've been playing, but before we can get into what I've been playing, I must tell you what I've been eating, and this week I've got something super important, super exciting to share with you. Listen, I've been wanting a waffle maker for a while now. It's been on my mind. It's been on my heart. I was at the grocery store recently. They had a a cheap unknown brand waffle maker for 15 bucks I almost pulled the trigger on it but I said no waffles are delicious they deserve they deserve the respect they've earned and I'm going to get a proper waffle maker and I will put I will invest the proper funds into making sure that my waffle maker is legitimate so I went on the internet and I scoured around for some good waffle makers I I was thinking about like the kind of crispy Belgian waffles and and how badly I wanted them and then I came across this this little beauty for 22 bucks it was the uh the Cars Three Lightning McQueen Waffle Maker. So, this is, you know, Disney Pixar's Cars, Lightning McQueen, the most amazing race car of all time. This is a waffle maker uh, that makes waffles that look exactly like his lightyear tires, exactly like a Lightning McQueen tire, and it's uh, it just instantly without without even thinking twice. I I uh, I, um, I one click bought that shit and had it delivered to me within 24 hours and. It was so excited, I went out to the store to do quote-unquote grocery shopping, meaning I bought waffle mix and, and some necessary ingredients, and as soon as that thing came in the mail, I unpackaged it, I cleaned it, I set it up, I read the instructions manual front and back, and I made myself a waffle, and I gotta be honest, these are the coolest, the coolest looking waffles of all time, if you want to see these waffles, you can always check out my Instagram, uh, I don't know what my Instagram handle is off the top of my head, so I actually won't say it, but I made these waffles, I put them on there, fucking beautiful waffles, they, now they cook just right, but I don't know what I was expecting, I, was, I wanted like a crispy Belgian style waffle, I got more of that soft, like battery, kind of thick waffle house style waffles. here in the southeast United States, you know, know what the waffle house is so it's kind of more that style waffle but still delicious still very happy with it every time i see you know my waffles in the morning and they look like uh car tires i just get a big old smile on my face to know that today's gonna be a good day so super excited about that uh and then also I'd, i'd just like to ask a question to the audience where do you stand on the whole waffle versus pancake superiority i've always been a pancake guy myself if i'm if i'm gonna be honest from a young age i always knew i was a pancake guy but as of late, I've been really into the waffle. And I don't know that I'm I've become a waffle guy, but I know that in this current you know, at this current moment in time, I'm I'm in a waffle mood. So let me know where you stand on the whole waffles versus pancakes debate. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And now we will jump into what I've been playing. And this week this past week I actually got I got I got I got some stuff done. I rolled credits on disintegration. I, I got to the end of that game. What a fun game. It's, like, I, I tweeted out after I beat it, rare example of, like, a modern game where, like, I actually enjoyed it the more I played it. And by the time the credits rolled, I was like, the game the game didn't overstay its welcome. It introduced new and interesting mechanics throughout the game or new and interesting ideas and concepts throughout the game. So it, it reinvented itself and, and justified its, you know, its playtime and, and all that. Um, you know, it's the game is meant to be very double-A. It's made by a team of just under 30 people. And I think it's a really impressive game. You know, for a team of like 27, 28 people, I think V1 Interactive did a great job with the game. The the story is, you know, very minimal, very simple, but I think kind of interesting still, despite you know, and it's not supposed to be like a big, you know, it wasn't their attempt to at building their own destiny or their own Halo. This is this is supposed to be like a one-off or a smaller, more you know, straight fo- straightforward kind of world they built. And I I, th- I thought it was a really interesting game. Um, you know, there's nothing mind blowing about the story. Um, But the gameplay is super interesting. I really think the whole RTS melding with FPS gameplay is super unique, very well pulled off. And if if you have a hard time kind of juggling both things, you can always bump the difficulty down and then the gunplay never gets too easy. Um, but it does dumb down the RTS elements so that you can play it more like a shooter and less like a uh, strategy game if you so choose, which I also really appreciate. Um, yeah, the game is like, it's just like the challenge is just the right amount of, of challenge. The level design is varied and fun. The characters are interesting and fun. It's just, its a great weekend game. It's a great game to just pick up on a Friday, finish by Sunday and just say, wow, that was a fun, you know, 10 hours of my life. Time to move on to the next game. So I really wish more people would check this game out and give it a try. It's it's quite a shame that it absolutely is bombing commercially, and we know that because... You cannot get a match on on multi, on the online multiplayer for this game at all. There are so few people who bought this game and play it that you the matchmaking cannot ever put you in a game. I played one game of online multiplayer the day it came out, and then was never able to find a match ever again after that. And I've gone on the subreddit for the game, and people talk about like you know having community nights when everyone gets on at the same time so they can populate the servers enough to to get some games going. And it's really quite sad that you know all this hard work went into this multiplayer, which is really robust. But most people just can't play it, and it's it's really unfortunate. But Disintegration is a really cool game, and I just want to give a big shout out to V1 Interactive, Marcus Leto, and his team of sub thirty people who made a really awesome first effort of a game. I, I hope that somehow they're able to stay around despite you know what will absolutely be a, a financial bomb in Disintegration, and uh, I hope I hope somehow they're able to stick around and and make another uh, you know a new game a, a next effort um probably not a disintegration too but whatever they decide to make next i'll, I'll be excited to keep a tab on the studio as they i think have definitely earned a spot as one of the more notable modern double a kind of lower budget game developers and that's really exciting that's a that's the thing i always complain about they're not being enough of so more than happy to support that game next i um no it's not an xbox podcast i know we already got into it a little bit but the last of us part two how can i not mention it i finally beat it this past weekend and i gotta say you know I know last week I was pretty down on it. While I absolutely stand by my opinion that this game is like uh, 6 or 7 out of 10 at best, the very end of the game, the last hour and a half of the game really turns things around for me, at least in terms of the story. Despite the fact that, you know, I don't want to get into it too much because I don't want to be spoilery, but despite the fact that the game kind of starts out like whatever and slow paced, and then it, it does a huge like... You know, then it kind of picks up, but then it gets really slow, and then the gameplay is off, kind of you know just average, and the game just drags, and all these things. The game gets somehow even worse by the halfway point because it it just pulls this whole one eighty trick on you. That you know, I guess without speaking too vaguely because this is kind of hard to pick up on anything. Basically, what what Naughty Dog did here was they took a huge risk, you know, narratively in trying to tell a, a story that is a very challenging story to tell. It's it's not a typical revenge story, but rather it's a, how can we make the player sympathize with the perceived enemy, the quote unquote antagonist, right? And I think it's really cool to try and do that. I think if anything, it's a little bit like Star Wars, The Last Jedi, where it's like, hey, we're not going to make the story about good versus evil. We're going to make the story about how the whole world is not full of black and white, but rather about gray and how, you know, everyone is good and bad and everyone's done awful things and everyone's done good things. And, you know, when you kill a bad person, you kill a good person in someone else's eyes. And, you know, when bad people die, good people lose someone they love. And and I think that's a really compelling story to tell because it's a very realistic story. It's a very true story. I mean, this is why we have <laughs> this is why we have political unrest in the Middle East, because the U.S. keeps killing people that other people love and then creating enemies out of it so that's i mean that's what the story is and i i really appreciate it in that aspect i just think the way it's pulled off isn't elegantly done and and i don't mean that as like a massive knock like fuck you night Dog, you screwed up this game sucks i mean it as like i don't envy anyone who tries to pull this kind of story off because it's really fucking hard to pull off that being said if i'm just being honest the way they try to pull off doesn't work for me it doesn't resonate with me it didn't pan out for me i still don't like the new character they introduced i still don't like playing 10 straight hours as that character and uh it, i think overall the game is pretty disappointing i think the first game's significantly better this game definitely introduces some gameplay improvements i think the animations phenomenal the graphics are phenomenal the voice acting's phenomenal the writing's pretty solid and then i think the ending of the game really saves it the ending of the game actually I almost wish this was an Xbox game so we could do like a spoiler cast kind of thing at the end of the show and talk about, you know, the ending and create a discussion, have comments and questions coming about the game because I actually to this game's credit the thing the thing that makes this game stick with me and makes me like it as much as i do actually is the fact that it's ending left such an impression on me that here i am almost a week after rolling credits on it and i'm still thinking about it every day and i'm still i'm still developing new things new ways i feel about it and new thoughts and ideas so while i don't think it's a good game from a gameplay perspective and while i think the pacing and and the length of the game is so disrespectful of the player's time and that you know half of the game is pretty much just Uh, uninteresting to me entirely um the the ending itself is so good to me that it kind of it doesn't make up for it or excuse those things but it makes me still able to appreciate the game as a whole um to to a greater extent and it's one of those endings that's like so intentionally uncathartic and unsatisfying because it's just like it's not a story about like and then this side wins and this side loses and everyone is happy you know the end it's it's one of those stories where it's like everyone kind of loses and everyone's kind of sad and just everything sucks but it's also like a story of like i don't know it's like the catharsis or the or the kind of lasting effect of the game is that everyone everyone comes to a point where they just they you know they i don't know they realize they just have to live with the shit they've done and it's it's a very cool game i just i I don't know how to really get into it without spoiling it so i guess i'll just i'll stop trying to say it but it's i don't know there's a lot of the game introduces a lot of themes and ideas that just i've been gnawing on in my head and my favorite thing you know as, as someone who studied english in school my my thing is i'm a sucker for storytelling where you know the story is all about introducing you know like um I don't know, sy- symbolic items and, and symbolic you know imagery and, and ideas and themes to just kind of digest and chew on. And I think this game offers a lot of just a lot of like, well, what do those boats mean? And like, what, why, why is the start screen focused on the boat? And what is the, you know, the representative, what does the boat mean? And, in, in, you know, in, in, what is that as a theme and a plot device? And what does that say about the characters? And like, what is the whole, you know, thing about these factions mean? And what is the whole thing about so-and-so like not killing so-and-so and so-and-so killing so-and-so? Like, what is what do all these things mean? And just being able to like digest and chew on these things and, and kind of you know, create hypothesis this is, this is what I love about storytelling. And I think the last of us part two actually does this incredibly well by the time the game ends. And for that alone, the games, you know, left a special impression on me. But if I'm, but if I'm judging it from the point of like someone who likes video games, judging this as a video game, it's not a great video game. I think this game is getting way too much praise Uh, But also, at the same time, I don't want to take that away from people. I'm really happy that people are happy with this because, again, you know, my gripes with the game, you know, the whole I don't like this certain character or I think the game drags on too long or is horribly paced. Those are all like really subjective takes. So the fact that these things didn't work for me and resonate with me doesn't mean that it's a bad game. It just means it's not a game for me. And so I'm super happy that it seems like most fans of the series are really satisfied with the game. Uh, I'm, I'm way happier to see that be the case than to have this be like Star Wars Last Jedi, where everyone's just got to have the worst day ever and, and shit on it. Um, so it, it's great. And I think now that we've had a week plus with the game, you, you see a lot of like the bigoted commenters who are shitting about, you know, the the racial representation and the sexual identity representation, all those things, the trans representation. You see you see all of that kind of fade into the background because you realize that was the noise that was the people bitching about the leaks and not really the people who played the game and wanted to buy the game and experience this game and what you're starting to see now is the people who bought and played this game are pretty happy with it and it's selling incredibly well Uh, i'm sure microsoft wishes they had a franchise that sold this well today and uh yeah congrats to sony congrats to naughty dog and congrats to all the fans of this game who got this i'm glad people are enjoying it i just personally think it is a big letdown overall it's a great ending and a great piece of technical fidelity um, and a great piece of writing and acting with just a really mediocre game th- that's twenty plus hours thrown into it. It it took me twenty one hours to beat the game and I just when I look back on like how much story I got out of it and how much I had to play the game, I'm like how how was this twenty one hours? I feel I feel like the game could have easily been pared down to like thirteen hours. But that's the last I'll say on the the Last of Us Part Two. I, I like to just talk about Xbox on this podcast, but it's one of those things where the segment's called "What I've Been Playing," not "What I've Been Playing." That's Xbox exclusive, and that's what I've been playing. And I don't play a lot of non-Xbox games, especially these days. But every now and then, when I do play a Nintendo game or a PlayStation game, especially if it's one as this big and compelling, I'm going to talk about it because it's know, it's what I've been playing. And I think I think a game like The Last of Us Two is is a game that most Xbox gamers are interested to hear about to an, ex- to an extent, right? It's, I don't know, it's like, of course you're interested. It's like, you're interested in what the PS5 is because it's the big thing that's happening, you know, on the other side. You know, what's the other team up to? What's the, uh, what am I missing out on from being on Team Xbox? And Last of Us Part Two is definitely one of the key examples of that kind of thing happening. So lastly, uh, I, I've been playing a ton of Master Chief Collection. Since I beat Disintegration in Last of Us Part 2 I've just been playing multiplayer on Halo 2 Anniversary, Halo 3, Halo 4, just nonstop, loving some Halo Master Chief Collection. What a great palate cleanser from Last of Us Part Two. It's just so good to play some Halo and just tune out, put on some music or a podcast, and and just uh, play some play some Team Slayer. Aside from that, I think once this podcast goes live, I'm gonna jump back into Halo Wars Two and replay through that, try to get myself prepped and refamiliarize with the Banished story as we uh, get ready for our July Xbox event where we see some Halo Infinite reveals uh hopefully that will be happening very soon it is now july it is the month of the xbox first party event so speaking of xbox now that we're done with all the pizzas we're done with all the last of us we're an hour into the show we haven't even talked about all the sexual misconduct allegations that we now have to get into we will jump into the news Okay, I wasn't even joking yet. I wouldn't joke about that, but I definitely wasn't joking right there about the sexual misconduct. Unfortunately, this is a story I tried to ignore. It was it was breaking. It really started breaking last week around the day I recorded last week's show, and I was like, is there any way I can just not talk about this story because I'm really fucking tired of this whole, like, social issues bleeding into the games industry. I just want to talk about, I don't know. I'm tired of rumors and, 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 and then this kind of shit. I just want to talk about, let's just talk about Halo, um, but unfortunately, we got to talk about this at least a little bit. I feel like I can't ignore it. It's, it's, it's a big thing that's happening. But without getting too in detail about it, there have been a lot of reports uh, in the past week or so It uh, started really on Twitch and then kind of bled over to Ubisoft and some other platforms, uh, developers and platforms where um, a lot of a lot of allegations were made about, you know, certain Twitch streamers about things they've said or done to certain girls and sexual abuse and things like that. And I, I didn't really write down names because I don't want to really get into it all because it's just I'm so I'm so sad that this is a story that keeps that keeps having to come up. I'm glad it comes up uh, in the sense that, you know, these people, these these abusers get called out and, uh, and get held responsible for their actions. But I'm sad in the fact that this is unfortunately a thing that does happen. I think the biggest one that caught the that caught waves was uh, Ubisoft, the creative director uh, for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, His name is uh, Ashraf Ishmael. Um, He stepped down from his role as the creative director of of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is about to ship in just a few months here because of some some allegations. So this is this is why I think the story is a little weird, because so this guy wasn't actually accused of sexual or he wasn't accused of like rape or sexual abuse or anything like that. Like some of these Twitch streamers were being accused of. This guy actually was called out because he 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 engaged in an affair with his with uh with a twitch streamer apparently it was some young streamer and he was having an affair with her so he's cheating on his wife and then this kind of got lumped into this whole movement of you know like sexual misconduct in the streaming community and this one i think was a little bit of bullshit just because it's like well wait having an affair is like beyond a shitty thing to do like if you if you cheat on your spouse you're a piece of shit. I mean, if you cheat on your partner, your spouse, whoever, you know, if you're in a if you're in a relationship with someone and you cheat on them, and it's, you know, you're a fucking piece of shit. And it's just as simple as that. Um, but I, I feel like this was a little fucked up because this guy got lumped into this movement where, like, people were getting called out for sexual abuse and things like that. And this guy wasn't committing sexual abuse. He was committing adultery, which is obviously an awful, awful thing, but it's consensual. You know, the girl, he was, you know engaging with outside of his relationship with his wife was consenting to it. And there's nothing illegal about that. It's just morally fucking bankrupt and disgusting. And yeah, I mean, he, he deserves all the shit in the world. I hope, you know, I hope his wife is able to somehow heal, heal from this trauma and hurt that this is going to inevitably bring on to her and the rest of his family. And I hope they're able to heal and, and somehow move on from this. But I don't think this guy deserves to be lumped into this, this whole movement and this is a weird thing that's going on. And I just, I see this story keeps circulating about how he's, he's voluntarily stepped down from his role at Ubisoft and that he's taking some time to deal with his family affairs. But I'm like, well, this, this is, this isn't the same thing because also at Ubisoft, there's a, a Adrian, uh, I cannot pronounce his name. Andri- Adrian, Adrian Gabinji or something who was accused of manipulation, emotional abuse and rape. Okay, he denied the allegations and then removed the post denying them, um, and or he, or he was accused of it, and then and now the accusation got removed from the medium, which is where it was originally posted, and then and then Ubisoft's uh, Stone Shin, another guy at Ubisoft, was also accused of using his position within within Ubisoft's PR team to prey and to prey on into to prey on women, and and a lot of people come you know reported that. His behavior has been, like, an open secret within the community for a long time now. People that know him know of this and that he's been kind of leveraging his position of power to, like, lure women in and kind of manipulate them and and take advantage of them. And so it's, like, this is a very different situation where, like, these latter two guys, like, these guys are, like, fucking pedophiles and rapists and predators. Like, these guys need to be, like, cast out of society. Like, fuck these guys, right? But this first guy here, while also a a fucking dirtbag isn't really the same thing. And I think it's kind of fucked up that, I mean, like I, I'm not fond of him. i never gave a shit about Assassin's Creed Valhalla to begin with, but this makes me like even less likely to ever want to support him or any of his creative projects. But I don't think this man deserves to have his life, his, his career destroyed because he, because what he did wasn't illegal. You know, he, he didn't, I I don't know. It's, it's just a, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to side on the side of like, I'm just going to favor the side of the law. And it's one of those things where like, if you, if you rape a woman, you know, the death penalty is not really a thing in in most parts of this country, but if you rape someone to me, it's like, I don't give a shit. I, I feel like if anything, if we're going to have a death penalty, that's, that's who it deserves to be reserved for. It's like rapists, right? And like, if you are um, preying on women, emotionally abusing them, using them for sex, raping them, I don't give a shit. I don't think there's any wor- room in this world for people like you. You're basically as good as dead. If you cheat on your wife, you're a piece of shit. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to support your creative projects, but I don't think you deserve to be locked up in jail and to lose your your career and never have the chance you know, to recover professionally. I mean, I think you, you don't deserve a chance at happiness in terms of love, but that's a very personal matter that's unrelated to what's going on. I, I definitely feel for your your wife hopefully soon ex-wife who was just cheated on i feel for your kids who are who have a shit father but you know i don't i don't think it's the same thing and i'm saying this very ineloquently but i'm i i do not know i just i feel like this has to be said because i keep seeing these stories circulate and the sentiment just seems to be like oh fuck all these guys and it's like yeah i'm, I'm on the side of like fuck all these guys but also let's distinguish there's a difference between A rapist and a cheater. I want to say that the other thing is all the Twitch streamers. There's been like a a handful of Twitch streamers who've been kind of ousted and then they did like a blackout Wednesday thing on Twitch apparently to like kind of raise awareness of like the sexual abuse and harassment and uh, manipulation that goes on in the streaming community which is just kind of so gross when you think about all these fucking lame ass sweaty kids who just like put a camera on and play Xbox or play PC. And they're just like, look how good I am at Fortnite! Aren't I so sexy? And then they get rich and famous off fucking playing video games and being a goddamn weeb. And then they leverage that fame and popularity to fucking manipulate girls. Like that's, that's kind of like if we can just zoom out and talk about this, like candidly, like, is that not like the lamest representation of like the modern world that like we live in a world where like guys are getting famous because they fucking play video games and they're good at them and people want to watch that shit, and then we give them tons of money and fame and attention, and then they manipulate that power to take advantage of women. Like, that's fucking disgusting, man. That's like, that's the, I mean, obviously any example, I don't give a shit what you are. I don't give a shit if you're a Nobel Peace Prize winner and you use that fame to take advantage of women. Of course, that's never an acceptable thing at at all, but it's just, like, what a greasy, slimy, gross, disgusting person you are to be like, yeah, the world loves me because I'm fucking good at Counter-Strike Go, and I'm going to leverage my fame and my name and my power to, like, fucking make girls do shit for me and to make them, like, such a fucking gross age we live in today, where, like, you can be, like, objectively such a lame-ass person. Like, th- there's something cool about it, you know, to be like, I, I started a-, a YouTube channel about video games or a podcast about video games or I started streaming video games because it's a passion and I love it. And, like, in embracing, like, that nerdy, like, how fucking weird is it that we live in a world where someone can be become financially independent and successful because of their passion for video games? Because of their, their not, not even their passion for video games that they use to create, but their passion they have for video games to just, like, I don't know, fucking play. Like, I don't get paid to play Halo on my Xbox, but maybe if I were, you know, likable enough or if I got enough of an audience, I could make money off of it. And it's like... I don't I, I don't really know how I'm putting this but it's just like that's so disgusting thinking to think that you can be like you can you can make a name from yourself from fucking like talking about slash playing video games and then think of yourself as like hot shit enough where you're just like yeah, that's right girls want me because I fucking sit on a chair in, and and physically inactive for like seven hours at a time playing a goddamn video game and you just think you're important enough and hot shit to just like start manipulating others it's just it's it's the most like eye-opening disgusting thing in the world that like this is what this is what the 21st century is it's like people who just think like oh i have internet access and a video game console i'm gonna just fucking cultivate a fucking fan base from the comfort of my home and then manipulate those people to be like my little army and my little minions this is why i feel so uncomfortable with this very podcast all the time there are like 400 to 500 people who listen to this show on a weekly basis and that makes me so uncomfortable you know, Xbox on because I'm, because I'm like, I don't think I deserve to have 400 people listen to my fucking voice. And I'm not trying to turn this around and make this like a, like a white knight, like pat on the back. I'm so awesome. Look at me being a good boy. Like, it's just disgusting to me. That's like, why the fuck do people want to listen to this shit? You know, let alone like become fans like that. That would make me the most uncomfortable in the world. I I like this show because this, this show is obviously tiny in the grand scheme of things. Virtually no one listens to it, but like, It would make me so uncomfortable if at some point this show went from, like, people who comment and dick around and post stupid comments and fuck around with me and talk about Xbox to, like, people being like, oh, my God, Jesse, I'm your number one fan. Please shout me out on your show, senpai. Like, that would make me want to fucking murder myself. And the fact that there are some people, I guess this is what I'm getting at, is that there are some people in this world who have the audacity to be like, wow, I went from a guy who just fucking played video games in front of a camera to, like, a guy who plays video games in front of a camera and gets sponsorships and paid millions of dollars to do this crap, and then thinks they're hot shit enough to where they're like, man, what? I have so much power, I'm gonna leverage this to take advantage of people and to get what I want, and to you know, because I'm hot shit and I'm cool. It's like, how fucking sick and twisted and lame is that, you know? I just, that's what makes me so uncomfortable with, like, internet fandom and, like, Con, quote-unquote content creators. It's like, these are just, like, the most, like, I mean, I guess you can make the argument. It's the same thing for, like, rock stars and movie stars. But, like, I don't know. The content creator is, like, the most average person who just, like, and, you know, good for, I'm, I'm happy for anyone who's able to find success on the internet with their creative project. But, like, the fact that, like, these people, I don't know, they just do, like, these really average mundane things, like talk in front of a camera you know they make fucking tiktok videos and blow up and get famous or they post pictures of themselves on instagram and get famous or they play fucking overwatch and get famous for it on twitch and then they're like they think they're important enough and that they and that like they somehow are above you know the moral code i guess that's what i'm getting at it's not that uh, i'm not trying to encourage that people in positions of power can justify doing ridiculous things or un- immoral things but i'm saying it's like I don't understand how you let something like people watch me on Twitch play video games and let that kind of bullshit get to your head enough to the point where you feel like you're more powerful or you're above moral code. It's like you're you're a scumbag, you're a piece of shit. So I don't I don't know. I'm not really articulating this well. I'm not really getting out of my mouth what I'm thinking in my head, but I, I this can be completely ignored. It's it's a thing that's happening, unfortunately, and uh, I'm really I'm really sorry to the victims of this shit because at the end of the day, this stuff makes me sad mostly because there are people who are directly affected of this and it's really fucking difficult for them to come out and admit, you know, I was the victim of this kind of abuse. And then there's always going to be pe- people who look at those people and say, oh, well, you were just doing this for attention and you were just doing this because you wanted to make a name for yourself. And it's like, I'm sure that's happened maybe once or twice. I'm not going to deny that that's never happened, but let's keep this in check. No one in their fucking right mind, no sane human being is like, is fucking whistleblowing or just like crying wolf about people sexually harassing them or raping them or abusing them so that they can make a name for themselves because you don't want that name for yourself. No one wants that fucking name for yourself. Your life's fuckingly fucking ruined. Once, once you get pegged as the person who was harassed by insert famous person name here, like, that's such a shitty situation for everyone all around. Like, fuck the person who does that stuff, and like, sorry for the fucking people whose lives are now ruined because everyone's always gonna peg them and and put them down as this victim who got attacked by X person. So, just such a fucking shitty situation. And hopefully, I guess, I guess, really hopefully, the the end result of this is that companies like Ubisoft and and, and platforms like Twitch are making necessary changes to weed this shit out and to be more on top of this, this is just one of those things where it's like, you know, now it's public news, but I can't imagine, you know, you think about like the, the stone chin guy from Ubisoft and like, I, I know how companies work. I work for a fucking company. You know, word spreads around. People know shit. If someone's c if someone's d if someone's doing something bad, people know about it. And this stuff goes on forever before it's reported. So the fact that this is just now making mainstream news means that people inside this company have known about this forever. So the fact that like companies like Ubisoft, I'm not trying to single Ubisoft out because Ubisoft is handled this probably about as well as any other company would have, but it's like companies need to take more personal responsibility in making sure that these people are weeded out. And I don't mean Ubisoft in like a in like a blank entity sense. I mean in the sense of like direct managers need to make just people need to take it upon themselves. If you're ever in a position of like managerial power, Listen to what's fucking going on to the people underneath you. You know, if you're someone who moderates a platform like Twitch, if you're someone who's in charge of a team of people and you hear about shit like this, like murmurings of like, this guy's been abusive and harassed, harassing women and, and or other people. Anyone can be harassed. You know, unfortunately, it's predominantly women, but men can get harassed, too. Anyone can get harassed. It's fucking disgusting. The reason why this shit blows up on the Internet and comes to light is is because people turn a blind eye and allow this shit to happen for so long. And that's what, that's what this is really indicative of, is that we need a cultural change where the second this shit starts popping up, people say stuff about it and act on it. Because in some cases, you can prevent this from becoming a problem, you know? Because harassment almost always starts as like, someone says something that's mildly off-putting. Nip it in the butt there, stop it there. It needs to be addressed. But it's just disgusting to see this happening in big names like Ubisoft and big platforms like Twitch where, you know, you fucking come here to get away from the bullshit of life and just watch someone play chess on the PlayStation 4 and talk about whatever, you know, or watch a lo-fi hip-hop music channel on Mixer. You know, you watch these things because you want to get away from the bullshit of the real world. So we just need people and organizations and to just, I don't know, just take more... Take more lead in, in snuffing these things out and preventing them from happening, rather than it having to get so bad to a point where it has to become headliner news. Because these things can be prevented way before they get bad. But I, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's just a disgusting thing. I hope all these fucking people just rot in hell along with uh, along with PlayStation fanboys. Our next story, our first real story of the of the week, our first Xbox related story, our first story where I don't have to get heated and huff and puff and talk about a whole lot of nothing is uh, coming from IGN or this reports from IGN is that a new report claims that the much rumored Xbox series X or Xbox Lockhart will be revealed in August after it was originally scheduled for it's of course, you know, E3 announcement that got canceled due to COVID. Fuck you. COVID according to Eurogamer sources, Microsoft is originally or originally pegged June as its announcement month for the alleged lower price, lower powered version of the series X using an E3 showcase as a, spe- as a space to explain the console while showing it playing some next gen games. The site now reports that the Series X will get its own reveal, presumably at an Inside Xbox-like showcase, but in August. That supports VentureBeat's reporting. Um, Some other reports have suggested that the Series S or Lockhart reveal uh, was originally Plan to remain in June to fit as part of the monthly update uh, branded by Xbox 2020 before being pushed back. However, Eurogamer says uh, its sources indicate that the month's uh, series of technical updates on elements like smart delivery was always the plan for June. So, this is, uh, we got to just, first things first, a little off topic. This is where I get confused because I thought back in May, um, when Microsoft first announced Xbox Twenty Twenty, this whole this whole thing where they're going to be doing um, you know a new event every month to kind of slowly roll out info about next generation throughout the whole summer. I th- I could have sworn the first time they ever talked about this, they said there will be an event every month, meaning May, June, July, August, but. Then, like, no one ever reported on June again. No one ever said anything about it again. I I need to go back and find the initial report, but I could have sworn, maybe I'm just going crazy, but I could have sworn Microsoft initially said there would be an event in June. And then no one ever mentioned it or talked about it, so I kind of quietly just shut up about it, too. But I could have sworn originally they had something planned for June. I thought, I was under the impression, for whatever reason, that initially it was going to be may was a third party showcase june was uh, a lockhart showcase july was the first party showcase and then i don't know maybe maybe august is like a release date and price i don't know but uh, i mean according to this reporting the the plan was always to have you know because what we got was of course a third party reveal in may and then in 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 uh june they talked about smart delivery a little more but that's kind of like a that's kind of like a cheat answer a little bit because we kind of when, when Microsoft delved delved more into smart delivery last month in June, they kind of they kind of barely touched on it any more than we had already known. I mean, they did expound on it, but not not that much more than we already knew. So I feel like that's kind of a cheat to be like, "Oh yeah, Smart delivery. That that Xbox Wire post they put out was was the June event. That was like their big announcement for June. But whatever, I'll take it. I'll let it pass. But um, it looks like the whole plan is August for the Series S. I guess I guess this makes sense just for the fact that you know July. It's now July. Welcome to July. If you didn't already know, it was is it now the seventh month of the year. Um, but of course, we know this is the whole first party lineup. I'm expecting to see something about the Xbox Series X. At this event in July, along with the console, um, but I don't know what exactly. But it makes sense. Like if you can just make this event all about the games, and then do the Series S next month, it's a way to keep you know sustained interest in the console throughout the summer, like Xbox Twenty Twenty is supposed to do. Um, but also, I think it helps not detract from what July's event is all about. And, and and I think Microsoft, it's really important that they keep the July event really focused on the games more than anything because that's where Xbox struggles, right? Is the exclusives, the games, you know, the first party games. What do I do? What, why do I need Xbox? What does Xbox have that other consoles don't? And I think that's what July's event is all about, is saying, hey, you keep bitching about the games. You keep saying that Xbox One has no games. You keep saying Microsoft has no studios. Fuck you, here are the games. And that's what July's event's about. So I, I fully believe this. I buy into this. I'm drinking this Kool-Aid. I think Lockhart is, is an August announcement. I don't think you need to go all out with Lockhart. I think it's kind of a self-explanatory thing because Lockhart is the lower priced lesser powered next-gen Xbox console. So that's the one that's going to sell to the mass market. The cheaper one is always the one that sells the best. That's just the rule of thumb, right? Base model cars sell more than, than fully loaded cars, you know? Uh the, the, the three hundred and fifty dollar iPad sells more than the iPad Pro nine with a uh, Retina ass blast technology you know that's just that's how technology works the cheap one sells the best so when you're releasing your console and you're doing headlines and showing off your next gen games that that's that's for three things you're appealing to three things you're appealing to hardcore gamers retailers and media. You're not appealing to your average consumer. Xbox isn't talking about Series X right now to get Joe Schmo who just buys an Xbox once every ten years to play Madden. You know, they're not they're not marketing that guy right now. They're not marketing to the guy you work with who plays Call of Duty sometimes and is and just got an Xbox One two years ago. They're not marketing to that guy. They're marketing to the hardcore Xbox audience, the hardcore gaming community, retailers like Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart you know and the media because the media are the ones who of course spread the news and make people aware of it that's that's what this is all about so right now you need to harp on the Xbox Series X because Xbox fans gamers are interested in the powerful box they're interested in how far next gen can go not how affordable next gen can be in in so many terms so this is so i i think they can they can make a little lighter of the lockhart because it can be one of the, the lockhart's intention isn't to make Diehard hard Xbox fans go, "Oh my God, Lockhart is so affordable! I can't wait to I can't wait to drop a little bit of money on a on a big next-gen console." The point of Lockhart is so that eventually, when Joe Schmo decides it's time to upgrade my Xbox One and buy an Xbox Series console for Madden or Call of Duty or whatever the fuck it is you do, you can go, "Okay, it's time to buy a new Xbox. I want to play that new Call of Duty game." Oh, let's see what the options are. Oh, well, there's one that's uh, $100 cheaper and it plays all the same games. Oh, buy that one. And that's what the Series S or Lockhart is for, right? So I don't think Xbox needs to really nail home this point of like, we have an alternate version, it's cheaper. It would be like Sony kind of getting up on stage and being like, oh my God, guys, you aren't gonna believe it. The uh, PlayStation 5 Digital Edition, the one that doesn't have a disk drive, it's amazing, it's cheaper, you're gonna love it. It's like, no, it's there for those who need it. It will sell itself. But when you're trying to push the next generation, focus on the games, focus on the best console, focus on the power, focus on the price, focus on the release date, focus on that stuff. And so in that regard, Microsoft needs to be honed in on video games and Xbox Series X. So I think you can do kind of a smaller event for Series S. Make it the August thing. Be like in August, and here's our lesser power console. It's this much cheaper for people who want to dip their toes in or, or just get in and play the games without fully investing X amount of dollars. This is your way to do that. So that's that's the first part. The second part that I think you have to acknowledge is you can't really talk about the Xbox Series S until you've talked about pricing on the Xbox Series X, right? Because the whole selling point of the Series S, you know, people aren't getting excited about the Series S because they're like, oh, man, I love low-powered consoles. Oh, man, I can't wait to play a console that has, you know, like, less performance and a smaller SSD and all this shit, you know, or or an HDD instead of a SSD, you know? So the the selling point of the Series S, the, the reason why it's enticing is going to be its price. And you can't talk about the price of one without the other. So if the rumor is to be believed that we're going to see the Lockhart or the Series S in August, that leads me to believe we have to learn about pricing on the Series X this month in the July event, right? Does that not make sense? Unless the August event is to talk about both consoles and release prices on both, but I don't think you want to do that. I think I think you'll want to distance them, right? I think you want to wow people with how affordable the Xbox Series X is considering what it offers and then pair that with the amazing first party lineup and have this amazing July event where people are like, oh my God, the games look amazing. Oh my God, the console looks amazing. Oh my God, the console's pretty well priced for what it is. And then in August, you can be like, oh yeah, and for all you people that just eventually come around to buying a console and you don't really care about having the nicest version, we got this too, and it's even cheaper. So, not only is the Xbox Series X competitively priced compared to the PS5, but we have a lower-powered next-gen console that's so affordable that, you know, even if you don't normally buy Xbox and you're just a really casual gamer, you're probably going to go with Xbox just because... Holy shit! You can like, the barrier to entry is so low relative to PlayStation, so I think that's that's kind of the way you gotta think about it. But again, I mean, I what what do I fucking know? This is my conjecture. This is my speculation. But then again, this is my podcast, so it's all about my bullshit. So that's what I that's what I think. So I, I don't know. It's 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 hard because, again, I, I really stand by that whole, I don't think you can do the price of the Series S without the price. I don't think you can talk about the Series S without the pricing of the X being out in the wild. But also, I don't see this July event being the point where Xbox is going to talk about the price. But then again, to, 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 to further uh, uh, complicate the situation, These consoles are like five months away from hitting store shelves. At some point, Microsoft has got to be like, okay, enough is enough. We can't keep doing this fucking dance with Sony. We need to put a price out. We need to put a release date out. We need to start taking pre-orders. So it it also makes sense. It's like, okay, maybe in July, maybe this July event, they are going to put a date and a price on the Series X because – they gotta start taking priorities. These things are like being manufactured now, you know? There's, I mean, these consoles aren't gonna release. I'm telling you right now, these consoles are coming out in November. There's just, it, it just is. They're talking about holiday 2020. No one's gonna fucking release a console in December, you know? No one's, and then I think they're trying to buy all the time they can. So why would they release it in October, which is earlier than consoles normally release? You know, consoles normally release in November. Historically, Xboxes and PlayStations have a November release window, or at least usually they do, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a very safe assumption that both PS5 and Xbox Series X, as long as they're not getting delayed, are going to be releasing in November, and now we're in July, so we got July, August, September, October, November, we got five months until these things are on store shelves, at some point, you know, Microsoft's gotta be like, okay, fuck it, PlayStation just kept punting, and they fucking beat us out with that, we're just gonna put a price on this thing and just get it out the door, so, that's my guess. I'm really tired of speculating at this point. I just wanna fucking see these games. I just wanna see Halo, I don't give a shit. I'll pay $2,000 for a Series X if that's what I gotta do, but I just just let me play Halo Infinite on this beautiful 4K machine, please, for the love of God. But our next story here, speaking of games that are not out yet and that don't technically exist yet. Earlier this week, Twitter user, uh, Twitter users, like The Verge's Tom Warren, noticed that the, uh, Microsoft had registered two new accounts, one for at Fable and one for at Perfect Dark Game. Both were registered in early 2020, and Warren noticed that the Perfect Dark account was followed by a Microsoft employee, which turned out to be Ken Lobb, Creative Director at Microsoft Studios and former Perfect Dark developer. Warren also noticed that the Fable account is registered to a Microsoft email address. As IGN reports, Xbox games marketer uh, Aaron Greenberg was quick to uh, squash rumors about the accounts. Replying to Warren's tweets, he says, It's standard practice to secure our social handles for our IP, noting that the accounts have have been inactive for years. However, it clearly says on the placeholder pages that both accounts joined Twitter in March and June of 2020. So, you know, can you really believe what Greenberg is saying here? So the uh, the Perfect Dark account subsequently then tweeted to say that it had been acquired by a fan of the series but was surprised to see that uh, Ken Lobb had requested to follow the page adding to the strangeness of uh, of the situation, and then, of course, the fact that both accounts were originally spotted with a display named Placeholder, uh, which the Fable account is currently still showing. Of course, you know, these rumors of Playground Games making a Fable reboot and the Initiative working on a Perfect Dark reboot have been circulating for quite a long time now and are kind of some of the worst-kept secrets in the game's industry. Yeah, honestly, I think, first things first, at this point, I'm so tired of talking about these as rumors, especially with Fable. Fable is just happening. I don't care. If I'm wrong, I'll fucking I don't know eat like the drywall in my apartment. I don't give a shit. But like it's happening. It's like I'm so I'm so tired of talking about it, like a rumor, worst fucking kept secret ever. I almost wish Microsoft just teased it like at the Game Awards or something instead of instead of uh, Hellblade Two, because it's like just show us this fucking thing already. But I'm fairly confident we're gonna see it in the next few weeks at this July event. Perfect Dark, on the other hand, that's the one where I'm like, okay, I'm like 85% certain that's a thing. But I'm also pretty confident that's a thing as well. This is that, I don't know, this is that whole thing that's like, I don't I don't believe Aaron Greenberg here. I think Aaron Greenberg's trying to cover up. He's trying to keep the surprise there, even though, again, these secrets have been so poorly kept. These games are actually happening. There's n- there's just no way they're not happening at this point. So, to to try and be like, oh, well, these are just placeholders. We're just renewing the accounts. It's like, I don't... I I mean I can't back that that's true I don't know I don't know if there was a Fable account like back when Fable three came out you know that was like earlier days of Twitter I don't know that that was I I doubt it was out there you know but I just don't believe that they're just renewing it. I've never heard of like renewing a Twitter account or an, a, a Twitter handle rather so this is just a whole like you're just you're just making excuses I don't I know usually it's like well if the rumor was real Microsoft wouldn't have said anything I don't know There's the way. The way I'm I'm seeing this is like, no, this is them trying to get in front of him and be like, no, don't believe the rumors. We're trying to keep a tight lid on this July event. We don't want anything to leak. We don't want there to be any, you know, lack of surprise. But I think both of these are legit. I think both of these accounts are legit. At least the Fable one is. I just, I don't know. And, and regardless of whether or not the accounts are legit, it's like these games are both happening. So let's just stop fucking talking about it and just show us already because especially with Fable it's like the the rumor the rumor of the Fable game I think has has been going on three years now so like by the time this fucking Halo uh, this this Fable game gets shown my like my grandchildren will be fucking gaming on Xbox so I'm just I'm really at the point where it's like I'm not even having fun talking about those anymore just, just show them already just shut up and show us the game but um the next story here is that uh, a little bit of a sad one. Dan McCulloch, the head of Xbox Live, has announced that he is leaving Microsoft. The announcement comes from his personal Twitter account, where he says that after 15 years at Xbox, I have announced today that I will be leaving. I made so many friends, learned so much and truly had a blast. I'm extremely excited about the opportunities in my career, and I will be announcing that very soon. You will all be pumped. Uh, end quote. McCulloch didn't uh, mention where he was going next, um, but still, he'll be leaving Microsoft in good hands as they head into the series X generation, and as Xbox Live continues to grow and thrive as a service. So, there's not much to speculate on this. I don't think this is like a, oh, this spells trouble. I think this is really just one of those things like this guy was in this position for a very long time. He helped pioneer and spearhead a very important movement in the games industry. And I think he's had his fun. And it's just kind of one of those things where this in-between space of like, now we're, we're going away from Xbox one and moving into the next generation. This is a good place to like put a pin in it and be like, all right, time for someone else to take the helm. I'm going on to the next creative project. You can imagine, you know, after, after 15 plus years of being the Xbox live guy, you probably get to a point where you're like, okay, I had, I had my fun. This has become a little stale. I want a new creative project. Or maybe he's just getting older and he wants to uh, do something else. Or maybe he made his money and he just wants to retire. I don't know. But it's one of those things where like, I, I saw a lot of people trying to read into this. Like, oh, does this spell trouble for Microsoft? I'm like, no. I think this is pretty normal at a time like this. It's a big transition phase for the, for the brand, for the team. And I think this is this is a perfect time to be like, okay, let's let's put the Xbox Live brain in someone else's hands as we head into a new era of Xbox so they can kind of spearhead it, make it their own, and, and you know, take the helm rather than just having an awkward exit and a shift of power at some random point in between the, like, during the generation proper. So I, I don't really see this as, like, anything to look into. I just think this is a guy who's ready for the next step in his career and moved on. Um, but it is a little sad, just because you know we we've seen a lot of people leave the Xbox ecosystem as of late in the past year. You know, we lost we lost Rod Ferguson, we lost uh, Mikey Barra. So it's just you know we're just losing a lot of like figureheads in the Xbox realm, and so it's just it's just kind of sad, you know. But these things happen. This is how the video games industry in particular always is. People come and go. People stay at one place for a long time and then they'll jump over to the exact opposite team or they'll get out of gaming altogether and go to a different industry in tech so yeah it just happens it's just a it's just a career move i don't think this really means much of anything for xbox live in fact when you really think about it xbox live is a service that has improved and gotten better but it's you know it's xbox live kind of has gotten to its mature phase you know it it is what it is you're not going to see the Xbox Series X come out, and they're going to be like, "And here's what we're doing for Xbox Live. Here's how we're overhauling Xbox Live. It's completely different. Everything's different." I think it's going to be like Xbox Live is there on Series X as it's always been with Xbox. So, I, again, I just this is just you know a good time to to leave and transition to the next thing. So, wishing all the best for Dan. Hopefully, uh, he finds happiness and success and whatever he does next and of course as an xbox fan thank you so much for all your hard work and your commitment to this brand and helping create this amazing service that has like literally never gets the amount of attention and recognition it deserves for what it did to our, our industry i mean xbox live people people shit on xbox like it's not you know oh xbox is stupid i like nintendo i like playstation i like you know playboy i don't like xbox but like you can't deny how important of a brand Xbox is. And when you think about, like, Xbox Live as a service, you know, or, like, <laughs> Summer of Arcade or fucking just HD gaming on the Xbox 360, just all the inno- innovations that the Xbox brand has brought into the games games industry, it's like, Xbox is such an indelible part of gaming culture and history. It's, it's kind of amazing you know, what a massive role in in this industry Xbox has played and how little credit it kind of gets for it. And I think Xbox Live is such a big part of that. It's like, I'm not saying, you know, PlayStation was dabbling with online connectivity in the PS2 days. Sega was way ahead of this shit, like even in the Sega Genesis days and the Sega Dreamcast was, you know, they worked with Microsoft in the Sega Dreamcast days. There's a lot of Microsoft history. There's a lot of Xbox precursor history in the Sega Dreamcast, which is such an interesting thing you can look into. It's just, but like, Really, so I'm not, I'm not trying to give Xbox all the credit for this idea of like bringing console gaming online, but the Xbox original is really the console that did take it there. And the Xbox 360 is really the console that normalized it. And, you know, today we think of a world where we download our games and we play online and we're always connected online. We have friends lists and we're doing party chats and we're doing in-game chats and we're downloading indie games. And there are games that literally are only downloadable. And and we just, you know, the way our video games and our consoles interact with the Internet is just as, you know, important as the ability to put a game in it and play it in our Our consoles are entertainment machines. They're not just video game machines, and they're computers that run apps and do all these things. It's like Xbox was at the forefront of all that, and I'm not saying PlayStation would have never got there or Nintendo would have never... Well, Nintendo wouldn't have ever gotten there because it's 2020, and Nintendo still isn't fucking there, but, you know, Sony would have gotten there eventually, I'm sure, and, you know, the computer... I don't know, PC gaming would have inspired console gaming more at some point, but Xbox really deserves credit for bringing it there, popularizing it, making it accessible to the mainstream, and, and normalizing this, making this an indelible function, and Dan played a massive part in that, and I think he's always going to be, unfortunately, you know, he's one of those, he's, he's in one of those roles where, you know, not everyone knows his name, I'm not going to pretend like I, oh, I know Dan, you know, I've always been familiar with his work, I'm not, and I don't know, but he, he played a huge role in creating something that's really important to our brand here as, as Xbox fans, and I'm really appreciative of his work wishing him the best and just a awesome moment to just kind of reflect on what a great, you know, service he's helped to bring to life and what a what a, you know, indelible part of gaming Xbox Live has been. So, just really fun stuff to awesome stuff to think about to just I don't know, it's it's fun to get reflective and think about how important, you know, something as as assumed and taken for granted as Xbox Live is, you know, in the world of gaming, so. Now we'll jump into a a new story, speaking of Ubisoft, we got that uh, Ubisoft is getting ready to announce a new FPS Battle Royale game, reportedly called Hyperspace, but it is currently running under the project name Prisma Dimensions, Uh, a website for the game has already gone live, Although apparently no one's seen it or something like that, but the game will apparently be free to play on both PC and consoles with cross-play functionality. Uh, there, um, the, the announcements or the rumors about it also notes that the game is set to enter a closed beta period like really soon, like next week, right after Ubisoft holds their Digital Summer Showcase event called Ubisoft Forward. So that's going to take place on July twelfth, uh, which is what next Sunday. And then it's expected that they'll reveal the game then, and then go into a beta after the event. Uh, as details have come from the reports and the rumors, Hyperspace has reportedly been built in partnership with Twitch, um, and is one of the. And one of the game's features is to allow the Twitch chat to directly impact the game uh, live with game-changing events. So in our last story, we got reflective and in really admired and appreciated some innovative people spearheaded new territory in the games industry and now what i'm going to do is shit on people who are trying to do just the same uh so we got ubisoft here they're doing a battle royale game because everyone's got to have a battle royale game because they gotta try to get in on that sweet sweet fortnite skin uh, skins dlc cache um but they're gonna try to do their twist on it because everyone's got to have their selling point and it looks like they have some twitch integration here which is gonna allow twitch chat users to impact the game directly now Again, I'm not experienced enough with streaming platforms uh, to know exactly or specifically how this has been done before, but am I not wrong that there have been games or examples of, like, Twitch streams where, like, the chat can directly affect the game? Uh, Wasn't there, like, a whole, like, Twitch plays Pokemon thing that went on, a fad that went on for, like, a year where, like, like the chat would just, like, overwhelmingly spam the, the function of the game they wanted and then the bot would, like do the input of the game based on what the chat was saying like if everyone in the chat was saying like press pause go to inventory like the 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 stream would pick that up and like the algorithm would make it go into the menu or like do you know do the corresponding functions like I feel like that was a thing but I don't I mean I'm not saying that that's exactly what they have planned here but I think the idea of you know the chat being able to directly impact the game is a cool idea Just because you think about Fortnite, you think about Ninja, you think about Twitch and things like that. And it's like there's this very, very correlated, very distinctive relationship between streaming and video games um, or like uh, or sorry, streaming and uh, battle royale games and kind of how the two kind of came up together and have such an indelible relationship with one another. So I think it's kind of smart to try to build these things in tandem, try to build a battle royale with streaming services in mind. But, I mean, we'll fucking see what it looks like. I'm sure we'll see it next week, and it'll have a super Overwatch Fortnite-looking art style, and there will be cartoon girls and neon colors and anime boys with colored hair, and they'll be all character-like, and they'll all have personalities and be super over-designed, and then they'll, you'll be able to do shit, and then it'll probably come out and either be super big or super floppy. So... I don't know. It's so hard for me to even feign any remote interest or excitement for anything in the Battle Royale realm because there's Apex Legends, which I think is pretty cool, but barely play. And then there's everything else, and I don't care about it. So Ubisoft is doing some kind of Battle Royale. We will learn about that in the coming days, apparently. Our next story here as we wrap up with our our final stories of the week, we've got... Speaking of controversy, uh, we've got, uh, as reported from IGN, Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment's rumored Harry Potter RPG game is reportedly being set to release in late 2021 on PS5 Series X. And according to Bloomberg, uh, the developers have said to be rattled by such issues of COVID-19, J.K. Rowling's uh, controversial comments as of late, and the possible sale of WB video games um, as a publishing business. So this Harry Potter RPG has been long rumored, as we all know from now. It's been in talks for a long, long time. This is like the Fable reboot. It's basically, we've been hearing about this forever and maybe one day our grandkids will get to play it, but uh, we've never had an official announcement. So while there has been, you know, supposed gameplay leaks of it, which we saw a year or two ago, um, WB has yet to confirm this much-anticipated title to the world at large. The project is said to let players become wizards in an open-world game that takes place at Hogwarts and its nearby locations. Uh, But two anonymous sources close to the project have revealed to Bloomberg that the project is very real and is very much in development at uh, Avalanche Software in Salt Lake City, Utah. Of course, you may be familiar with this studio because I always shout them out. They are, yes, the developer behind the late, great Disney Infinity. Such a phenomenal game, such a beautiful game. Lost to time, lost to lost to the, uh, the reign of, of Robert Iger, who decided that Jesse doesn't deserve to be happy, so Disney Infinity cannot continue to live on. Uh, But the sources have confirmed the leak from 2018, uh, that gameplay leak from two years ago, was authentic, but many of the rumors that have come after are false. Uh, In fact, it was said that despite the COVID-19 pandemic... Uh, pandemic the possible the possible sale of wb video games um, and the fierce backlash of the franchise's creator jk rowling that the games despite all that shit the game uh, still remains to be on track for a 2021 release uh, there's a lot of anxiety in the studio however especially due to the aforementioned comments by jk rowling that are widely viewed as transphobic according to one person uh, the studio's management uh, management has not addressed the controversy uh, of rowling um, but many have spoke out against rowling's comments including you know those from the those from the movies and the books the Daniel Radcliffe's the Emma Watsons the Eddie Redmond's uh whoever that is I don't recognize that one but Rowling is still very very sorry J.K. Rowling is still very involved in most Harry Potter projects although one of the sources said that uh that she has very little direct involvement in this project so I'm just going to stop right there before I finish ah fuck it we'll just finish it no, we're not going to finish it. We'll stop right there for a second. First of all, the Bloomberg report, that means it's, you know, uh, what's his face? Uh, Jason Schreier, who left Kotaku to go work at Bloomberg. So keep in mind, this is one of his reports. So it's it's going to be one of those very um, very agenda, agenda-driven agenda uh, stories. So basically, my job is anytime I see Jason Schreier wrote something, it is to... Be appreciative because he does actually do some decent investigative work, but also rip it to shreds because he's he's Jason Schreier and he definitely has a an agenda or a slant at literally all the reporting he does because he's the furthest thing from a non-biased, you know, reporter. He's not trying to just report the facts. He's trying to push an agenda. I, I got to say here, th- this whole, like, thing about how, like, they're trying to distance themselves from Rowling and all that. It's like, okay, listen, J.K. Rowling, I know she has a history of being very involved with all Harry Potter-related things because she's not creative enough to come up with anything other than Harry Potter, but let's make one thing clear. J.K. Rowling's un- like lack of involvement with this Harry Potter game has nothing to do with the comments she made or anything. This has 100% to do with the fact that this woman isn't leaving You know, her rainy, cloudy, uh, flat flat, if you will, in uh, the United Kingdom to come over to Salt Lake City, Utah, and work with the ex-Disney Infinity guys on a Harry Potter game. In fact, this this game's probably being treated like most video games, most licensed video games, where it's like, they got rights to the game, and they're just kind of having free reign with it. I can't imagine J.K. Rowling being heavily, heavily involved in the development of a video game. This is just one of those things where it's like, well, of course, the it's like the studio basically just going nuts with it the only time you really see this be the case where it's like someone has a heavy hand in making sure the game is a certain way is like the only the only times i can think of that with an ip is like recently marvel's kind of been in, on that kick lucas films usually pretty much on that kick and, and like the south park guys when they worked on those south park games but other than that usually the way video games get treated is like oh here's Give us a shit ton of money. Here's a license to our property. Go have a fucking field day with it. So I assume the lack of involvement from Rowling has everything to do with that and nothing to do with pretty much anything else, except for maybe the fact that she doesn't want to be running over to Salt Lake City, Utah. Although, of course, I guess Skype is the thing that can probably just talk over the uh, Internet. But anyway, Felicia Grady... The managing editor of the popular Harry Potter fan site, Mugglenet, which sounds like a fucking slur, uh, wrote an email to Bloomberg stating that this controversy is, quote, likely to diminish some of the anticipation of the game. Based on what I've seen from fans, I do believe that Rowling's comments have had some effects on the level of excitement they have for the Harry Potter RPG or other upcoming content, Grady wrote. We've seen comments from fans who no longer wish to support Rowling or the brand financially. So let me stop again. Uh, because this is actually all absolute bullshit. I know what J.K. Rowling said was, you know, transphobic, and it's been very controversial. But let me remind you that this is the internet we're talking about, where you can pretty much be the biggest dirtbag in the world, and then you know, give it like two, three months tops, and everyone will forget about it and move on because people are actually too distracted with whatever's next to to hold people accountable for shit they say. So yeah, of course, there's gonna be a specific small amount of people who are going to hold J.K. Rowling accountable for what she said and maybe stop, you know, supporting the Harry Potter franchise. But I don't think at the end of the day, especially considering the fact that this game is like a year, a year and a half out from being released. I don't think for a single fucking second that J.K. Rowling's comments are truly going to hinder this game's uh, uh, potential for financial success because by the time this comes out in 12 to 16 months, we'll be so far removed from JK Rowling's comments and unfortunately the world will have moved on and pretty much given up on caring because that's how the internet works. You can you can say grab him by the pussy in September and be the president of the United States in November. So that's the world we live in and I'm not trying to make a political statement. I just think that's a that's a funny way of putting it. So that's 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 where I am on that. I think that's kind of a bullshit concern. And then the last part of this story is that The possible sale of WB games is also a big concern for the studio. According to Bloomberg, they say that expensive projects can be quote the most at risk in the cancellation, uh, in the event of a sale, especially one that has been in development for a very long time. As this game has been the issues that have caused WB to shift their plans regarding the reveal, of the project, which was originally going to appear during E3 2020. Uh, the new plan, according to those familiar with such things, is to unveil the new Batman games in August at the DC fandom, which we talked about last week, and then focus on Harry Potter, uh, at a later date these plans however were made prior to Rowling's comments so you know you don't know how COVID and these plans and all this bullshit maybe might be affecting things so lastly I'll say to this this is a pretty real concern is that you know whoever ends up buying wb if they end up being sold the gaming division if they ends up being sold well well you know the, they'll have someone come in with a fine toothpick and say what are all your studios doing what are all these games in development what is this project does this look lucrative how expensive is this is this worth the investment and they'll cancel things and i and i get that the things that are really expensive that have been taking a long time to make that's the kind of stuff where it's like okay well that that might be the most likely to get canceled but then again if this game's only like a year away from coming out I feel like you might as well just try to recoup the cost of that game. Just get it out the fucking door and let it sell millions of units because it's Harry Potter. And it could literally be a fucking, like, fucking, like, Harry Potter eats Quidditch balls and then shits them out. And people would fucking buy it by the millions because it's fucking Harry Potter. So, I don't think, I don't think it would be a bad idea to finish this game or that. I I think the only thing that could really put this game at serious risk for cancellation would be if the acquisition of WB Interactive Entertainment did not come with the IP. You know, if like, say, Ubisoft or Activision bought WB Interactive Entertainment and then they didn't get Harry Potter and Batman and all that shit along with it. I think that would be the kind of thing that I'd be like, OK, time to cancel this because we're not going to we're not going to shell out the money to let you continue to develop this game and then shell out the money, the money to get the licensing for the game that, you know, that's lost. So I think that's the bigger concern here. But I'm still fairly confident this game is happening. I mean, fucking. um I guess it really hasn't been in development for too long. I think Avalanche must have been working on it since 2017. Because, I don't know, Disney Infinity got the axe in May of 2016. I remember because I was at Epcot crying my fucking eyes out about it right before the fireworks started. And, yeah, so it got it got canceled in May of 2016. That same day, uh, they announced that they were basically, disband- like basically firing everyone, disbanding their game initiative at Disney. And then it was announced it was announced six months later. It was either in December or January. December twenty sixteen or January of twenty seventeen that WB announced that they had acquired that they basically swooped in, saved Avalanche software from shuttering, and saved the team and saved the, the brand, bought it from Disney and and uh, took that team over and that they were releasing like a movie tie-in game for the Cars 3 video game. So you're only getting the inside scoop on this shit because it's all about Disney games. So that's why I know about this shit. Um, But yeah, they, they swooped in and they bought them. So that must have happened, honestly, shortly after Disney disbanded them in May of 2016. So I assume that they were owned by WB and working on something, basically. For, for like five or six months before we got an announcement. And that was, of course, Cars 3 Driven to Win, which was announced in early 2017, released in the summer of 2017, around the time the movie came out in June. Great movie, Cars 3. Go watch it if you haven't. And then after that, the rumor was that they were hard at work, all hands on deck on this Harry Potter RPG, and that's been the story ever since. So it's now been three years since Cars 3, the game came out, and that this game has been, you know, more or less rumored slash confirmed to be in development. So I assume they probably, they were probably in pre-production on Harry Potter while they were developing Cars 3, so you you say maybe sometime around mid to late 2016. So the game's approaching four years of development, but that's, for actually, for a current generation like AAA-ish RPG open world game, three to four years is actually pretty standard. That's not, that's not that, you know, it's not that excruciating or long. I don't feel like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like at that point it's like, it doesn't seem like the game's in development hell. Just go ahead and finish her up and put her out the door so you can make your uh your millions of bucks off all the fucking uh muggles as they call them uh and then uh yeah maybe after that never make avalanche make another harry potter game again because they uh have shown us disney infinity so why punish them and make them make a game about a pale-faced british fuck boy who goes around waving wooden sticks at owls to make them feel tickly feelings in their tummies and float around in the sky That's fucking weird. Our next game here, our next story here, our wrap up story, our final story of the week uh, is good, bad news, depending on how you want to look at it. But this week, fans got a first look at at gameplay for the upcoming Crisis remaster for consoles and PC. The game was met with some serious backlash from fans after seeing how underwhelming the visual upgrades and everything appeared to be. And in response to the backlash, the official Twitter account for the game released the following statement. Dear Crisis fans, as you know, Crisis Remastered will be coming to, into the world uh, this year, and at the same time, the Crisis IP will debut on Nintendo Switch, yada yada. Uh, your passion for Crisis franchise deserves an undeniably high quality game, and we are committed to delivering just that. To ensure that we have met the commitment, we will need to delay the launch uh, on all platforms. Uh, and the trailer premiere by a few weeks because they already uh, started pre-orders for the Switch, Uh, they will stay open, but pre-orders for other platforms will be delayed as well. The key features you're looking forward to are already set, um, but we want to take the time to polish the game. You might be aware of the leak yesterday uh, and want to know that we have seen the reactions and that the good and the bad, and we're listening. We're still working on a number of things in the game as well as uh, our storefront, so please keep the love coming, but rest assured you'll have your game uh, to you shortly. The extra time until release will allow us to get crisis remastered up on the PC. The console breaking standard you've come to expect from crisis games. We hope that you understand what we're up to and we hope that you stay with us while we take the time to make a few more improvements. So stay tuned, blah, 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 blah. So basically some stuff about the game leaked a little trailer and everything. Everyone was super salty about how it didn't look that impressive. And then they were basically like, Oh shit, we're delaying it a little bit. So, that's weird. Apparently, like, the reporters that, like, they hadn't ever really shared the game with anyone before they decided to kind of show it to the public, even though they were about to release it in just a few weeks. But then, you know, after getting the first taste of fan backlash or the first taste of feedback, they were just like, ah, oh, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, we're not doing it. And then according to the Microsoft Store, uh, the title was supposed to launch on July 23rd. So... Now it's going to be pushed back probably sometime in the late August. Uh, the Crisis team says that they're delaying it for just a few weeks. The game runs at a 4K resolution on the Xbox One X and has a file size of only 7 gigabytes, so it's unclear if the game will get a, a big old day one patch, uh, but that's pretty much assumed at this point because of what they're having to do. Um, it's pretty much, probably pretty much was had gone gold by now, so I can't imagine it's not just going to be a big old day one patch. But if you were looking forward to the Crisis Remastered, Good news, bad news, it's getting delayed, so that's for the better. Bad news, it's getting delayed, so you got to wait a little longer. Good news, it's not that long of a delay. Bad news, you've got to play Crisis. So there's all that going on. Um, really not much to dive into there. Uh, it's just a little weird to me that they were, like, so ready to release the game that they hadn't even shown off. And they're like, oh, fuck. We were, uh, we were just about to release this game that we haven't even shown you yet, and it turns out you don't like it based on leaks. I guess we'll delay it. So I don't really know what a couple weeks will buy them but uh, here's hoping they can uh, overnight do what they need to do and make people stop being uh, all bitchy and moany about it. But that's going to do it for all of our news stories this week. We will now jump into important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to work their own discussions. we got a couple of them, so we'll rattle them off. Number one, IGN reports that Call of Duty Warzone will soon be getting a new limited-time 200-player Battle Royale mode that will allow up to 50 squads of... Uh, or, yeah, quads of operators to fight for victory, whatever that means. The update is available right now. I think it meant to say squads. Next, IGN reports that Tales of Arise, the next entry in the beloved Tales of series, has been delayed from its 2020 release window uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is an interesting story where the developers pretty much just say that the game graphically looks like shit and that's why they're delaying it and that they just want to take more time to make it look prettier. So I thought it was pretty funny how candid they were about it. And But uh, yeah, so that'll probably come out sometime. Uh, in uh, early to mid 2021 next game here is that or next story here is that city project red have confirmed that a second night sire night city wire live stream event showing off further details about cyberpunk 2077 will take place in the next few weeks so stay tuned for an official date Next, Machine Games and Bethesda have released a Wolfenstein alt-history collection, now available on Xbox One and PC. The compilation contains The New Order, its DLC, Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, and Youngblood for $80. So it's like $120 worth of content, but really only like two of those games are any good, so... I would just buy them individually. Next, we've got that Minecraft Dungeons first DLC pack, Jungle Awakens, is out now as part of the Hero Pass or standalone for purchase. And the DLC includes new gear, new weapons, armor, artifacts, new enemies, including mobs like Leaf, like Leap Leaf, and the Whisperer. Three new areas to explore, a new boss known as the Jungle Abomination, and more. Uh, you know, if you got Game Pass, you're good to go on that. Uh, yeah. And then Mojang have, re- next up, Mojang have released. Uh, Mojang, Mojang, whatever you want to say. I've released the soundtrack for Minecraft Dungeons on Spotify and on Apple Music. And uh, the track listing includes the new music from the Jungle Awakens DLC. Uh, Next, we got Xbox Game Bar uh, Bar now has a widget store that's available on Windows 10, which allows gamers to download and customize uh, new widgets to uh, personalize their gaming experience on the PC. Next, we got Sea of Thieves. We'll be getting a custom, we'll be getting custom servers in the near future, according to developer Rare. Sea of Thieves executive producer Joe uh, Niate explained the feature will be coming to the game in the form of an early alpha version. The alpha version will be open to a select creator, uh, to select creators in the community. And then next, we've got that coming soon. A couple new games coming to Xbox Game Pass that you can look forward to. Uh, actually, most of these are already out, but the first two are Out of the Park Baseball 21 and Soul Calibur 6. They're both on Game Pass now. The first one is on PC. The second one is on console. The next we got Cross Code coming on July 19th or sorry, July 9th uh, to console and then Fallout 76 is coming to console on July 9th and PC as well now also uh game pass you got some uh dlc game updates coming to game pass you got minecraft dungeons jungle awakens so that's there if you got the game pass see of these the greatest tales never told and then and then state of decay Two, the green zone and plunder pack so a lot of first party exclusive dlc content there and then xbox game pass ultimate perks um a new month, a new set of game pass, ultimate perks coming your way. So starting today, you can grab your fancy star online to July member, member monthly bonus pack, including tri boost, casino coin passes, and more, uh, whatever that all means. Uh, and then leaving, uh, Xbox game pass soon on July 15th. We've got a couple of games leaving the service It is blazing Chrome, on PC and console dead rising 4 on PC and console metal gear solid 5 on PC and console and then time spinner unavowed and undertale all on PC leaving game pass so make sure you play those games if you want to see them before they go but that's gonna do it for all of our news this week guys thanks for sticking with us we will now wrap up the show with our new game releases from the xbox wire blog this week there are strikingly very few uh few new games coming to this to the console there are a total of five new games coming to xbox this week and as tradition uh, dictates we will we will go over all five games assuming what they are based on nothing more than a screenshot and a game title so our first game game here is called hunting simulator 2 and it shows a guy with his dog walking through the forest so you might ask yourself oh, i played hunt- hunting simulator 1 you go out into the woods you hunt deer you hunt pigs or ducks or whatever the fuck it is you hunt and that's the game how do you make a sequel to that how do you how do you expand on that formula how do you make it bigger well i'll tell you how hunting simulator 2 this game you get to do more types of hunting that's right you get to do hunting in scenarios where you wouldn't normally hunt shopping malls shoot a fucking zebra on a shopping mall that's what you get to do in hunting simulator 2 go to a fucking theme park oh my god did you notice how many squirrels run around theme parks shoot them all that's what hunting simulator 2 is all about sky's the limit go into the fucking white house you get to do you get to do uh, rodent hunting that that's a very old building there's probably there's probably cockroaches and shit you get to go hunt them all you get to go to uh, get to go into the hot topic and uh, perform hunting simulator on scene kids so all different types of hunting scenarios you can embark on in hunting simulator 2 Definitely a game worth checking out. Um, I still don't know what the guy in the camo jacket, what the dog has to do with that, though. But still, definitely a game worth checking out, and it is out on... Uh, right now, actually, it's already out. Uh, the next game here is called The Ottoman Empire. So you may have heard of The Ottoman Empire, uh, but The Ottoman Empire is a little different in that you play as uh, a man whose last name is Otterman, and a lot of people call him Man, and that really gets him pissed off, so he turns himself into Octoman, uh, which gets misconstrued into Octopus. So he goes to college and gets a PhD and becomes Dr. Octopus, and then he fights Spider-Man and kills him. So this is kind of the premise of Spider-Man's uh, arch enemy or one of those arch enemies, uh, 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 the Doctor of Octopus, and this is about his empire, the Otterman Empire. Uh, so you will... You will claw your way through rigorous college programs and get laughed at by kids, ultimately to, to create some arms that attach on your spinal cord and make you a villain. So, you can play that beginning today on July 2nd. It is now out. Enjoy that shit. Our next game here is called Al- Alpha Dia Genesis. It comes out on July 3rd. This is... Have you ever wanted to, Have you ever wished... Gee whiz, I wish my Xbox... I wish my Xbox uh, Series X could play PlayStation 1 games... Because that's what Alpha Dia Genesis is. It's basically a glorified PlayStation 1 game on your Xbox Series X. And guess what? It's an Xbox Play Anywhere game. So maybe you can uh, take this game and play it on your PlayStation 1. Because that's where it belongs. Uh, it is uh, Also, there's a girl with blue hair. There's a boy with a, um, a beret. There's a guy with a scarf and long hair who looks like he's trying to get strong. And then there's a overly sexualized blonde girl with a short skirt. Uh, and what would they be fighting other than a fucking dragon? So... I know if I were a female and I had to go fight a dragon, I'd probably fucking dress up like I'm trying to uh, impress my my new boyfriend on Valentine's Day. So that's what you fucking do in uh, this PlayStation 1 exclusive Alpha Dia Genesis. And then our next game here is called Demolish and Build. So Demolish and Build. You say, I've heard of building games. You know, I've heard of Minecraft and Bob the Builder and, and, and Farming Simulator. So what is Demolish and Build? Why why is that so, uh, such a thing? So in Demolish and Build... You can not only build things, as the name suggests, but you can also demolish things. So you think, okay, that's cool. Put something up, knock it down. Might be a fun idea. Right. No, here's where they really expound on the idea. Coming out July 3rd, by the way, so be ready for this shit on Friday. Demolish and build has online connectivity. So you can you can get in your Bob the Builder uh, wrecking crew shit, and you can go over to your friend's neighborhood. You can go into your friend's game and say, oh, what a, what a beautiful community you've built here. Boom, and, and wreck it to the ground so that's the kind of shit you get into in 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 demolish builder also the man is standing the contract man is standing at one end of the screen and there's some construction equipment operating on the other side of the screen so that makes me think in this world in this demolish and build alternate universe construction machines are sentient they have their own minds and they are able to perform tasks on their own separate from humans so i'm not really sure what roles humans play in this. Maybe maybe it's like a whole dichotomy of like humans are builders, machines are destroyers, or vice versa. Um, but definitely an interesting game worth checking out. And then our final game of the week here is Clash Force, which is one of those old-timey games where you play as a rhino with a gun. It looks kind of like Mega Man or any other 2D game you've ever seen. And you may be asking yourself, why does this rhino have a gun? And it's because, actually, it's actually kind quite an interesting thing you can learn about. By the way, it's coming out on Friday, so get your wallets ready. Um, but Clash Force, this game where you play as a rhino with a gun, you say, oh, well, rhinos, you know, are so heavy, and they have these horns, and they're so violent if they want to be and I don't understand why they could just trample someone. They could just they could just run, outrun someone, and just tear into them with their fucking horn and shred them to bits. But think about it like this: if you had a nose, think about your nose, right? Is your nose really sharp and pointy to the point where, like, if you ran into someone face first, you could probably stab them with your nose? Probably not. Now, picture if your nose was like that. Picture if your nose was like a fucking sushi knife or a fucking like katana, right? Imagine that's your knife. Your your nose rather is is like a fucking sharp blade. And imagine like being in a war and being like, oh wow, my nose is so sharp, I could just run around and fucking nudge people with my nose and kill them all like that. But what good would that do you? That'd be fucking disgusting, having all this blood and guts and dead bodies on your fucking nose. So this is a rhino with taste. This is a rhino with self respect. He says, I don't want to get all this blood and guts on my on my horn, on my nose ostensibly. I want to. I want to be clean about this. If I'm going to murder people, I want to be very thorough, but very clean. And so he picks up a gun. And so next time you ask yourself, well, why the hell does this rhino have a gun? Think about how badly you want to murder people with your nose and smell that shit. So that's, that's why, that's why I'm, I got behind the, the, the heads of the developers and that's why they made that decision. The bigger question here is why is the rhino only wearing shoes? Why is he naked otherwise? That's fucking disgusting. Because he's walking on just his leg. I don't want to see that, that rhino dong hanging out while he's shooting at people. Don't let that be the last thing you ever see, is the fucking rhino's dong as he's blasting you in the face. But those are our games this week. Those are the five games coming to Xbox this week. Hopefully you're excited about at least one of them. I know I'm not. Um, but, uh, hey, it's a new month, so that means there's new games with gold. So for the month of July, we got the four new games. Our first one here is called WRC 8 FIA World Rally Championship. It's yet another not Forza racing game that you get for free on Xbox. It is available for the entire month on Xbox One. Our next game here is called Dunk Lords, which is available from July 16th to August 15th on the Xbox One. This looks like a a little fun arcadey basketball game, which uh, looks more interesting than the last game I just said. And then on the 360 side, We've got Saints Row 2, uh, which is available for the first half of the month, and then on the second half of the month, it's a 360 backwards compatible game. We've got uh, Juju, which I've never heard of, but I assume it is like the fourth entrance uh, entry rather in the Tack in the Power of Juju series, which is another game that was created by Avalanche Software long before they were owned by Disney back when they were commissioning games and making shit for Nickelodeon. Remember Tack in the Power of Juju? It was a Nickelodeon game that somehow spun off into its own animated TV series that somehow looked worse than Jimmy Neutron. But that's what I'm here for here to remind you of all the animated TV shows you wish you could forget, but simply can't. So that's going to do it for our our Xbox podcast. That's going to do it for our, our podcast, all about Nickelodeon animation. This guys, this, this week, guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember, follow me at that Instagram account. I can't remember my handle for remember to follow me on Twitter this week. I will be tweeting from the Ben and Jerry's Twitter account. So Everything Ice Cream, if you want to know the hot scoop on everything cold, follow Ben and Jerry's. I will be tweeting snarky comments about ice cream flavors. But until next week, guys, thank you so much. And now Eric will play us out with one of his old songs, because at this point, I'm pretty certain he's never going to release new music. So enjoy this rerun. Thank you so much and have a great week.